I think you at least can kind of see why people would like this film in, I, in some way. Yeah, I think it's spoon-fed slavery. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, that's... In, yeah, okay. Put it's... that in the intro. She literally said to them and to the room, well, we need to kidnap these people because <laughs> it's wrong. And then luckily one of the cult members pointed out the obvious and goes, uh, well, that would be wrong too and not only illegal, so we are not endorsing that. And, I just love that you said, oh, and then one of the cult members... <laughs> Well, the fact that someone decided to stand up in a thousand-seat theater after that film and say, so that war they were having at the end, I, what exactly was that? And the first question, right out of the gate, this woman stands up and just goes, well, didn't you think this was weird when this was happening? Like, weren't you thinking that this was something strange was going on? No, they were brainwashed in a cult. They never thought it was strange. And you telling them that is embarrassing for you. You're just making them feel that much worse right. about that they spent 20 years of their lives following this fucking guy who wears a Speedo and throws grapes in people's mouths. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this bonus episode of Film Tank, Alex and Nick relive their trip to the 2016 Sundance Film Festival. What's that, chicken? Every night is the fucking chicken! Holy God almighty! If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, guys, and welcome in to a bonus episode of Film Tank. On this episode, it's myself, Alex Diekman, and Nick Cheney talking about our recent trip to the Sundance Film Festival in Park City, Utah. Woo-hoo. I know, wasn't it? It was exciting. <coughs> it was really fun, and uh, I think we both had a really good time. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, just to give everyone a little background on, on our trip, uh, Nick's always kind of wanted to go to the Sundance Film Festival. In fact, probably really always wanted to go, and uh, this was a, a big chance for us after starting the podcast uh, about a year ago now, and uh, we got to go, and it was a, a year in the making, but it ended up uh, going down, I think... Pretty much as good or better than either of us could have expected. I would think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we were, you know, before we headed down there, I kept thinking that I was doing, or we were doing too much planning, so to speak, as far as how many movies we were shooting for and uh, whether it would be feasible to actually move around down there because we had never been there. And uh, it was, and maybe that's part of uh, the charm of the second half of the festival, but it was extremely doable. Yeah. Well, the the first half we've heard about, not necessarily horror stories all the way, but some uh, not as favorable stories about crowds, traffic, uh, difficulty getting on the buses, which is a big part of the festival since they are free and they pretty much go everywhere. Um, also issues with uh, snow on a couple of the days and the first half. And we had snow when we were there, yeah. but with half the amount of people, um, it's a lot easier to move around when there's bad weather. 
Yeah, I kept hearing before we went, like, the soundbite that, like, the first half are for people who want to see the celebrities and whatever, and the second half are for, quote-unquote, film lovers, because that's the, the half where you can really get to a lot of stuff. And I think after going, uh, it's pretty clear that, you know, even if we can't compare it to the first half, that that's absolutely true about the, the experience that we had. It's kind of funny, because actually the people who are intro- introducing some of the films said as much like yes. said well we love the second half because the people who actually like movies are here <laughs> yes and uh yeah i mean and also when you look at it um we both started with a 10 ticket package as far as that's like the the that's what we started with and we were like you know if that's all we get then that's fine but by the end of this entire experience after buying that a, a initial ticket package uh, we we essentially doubled that and we saw 10 more screenings yeah which is pretty crazy and we, um, for those who are interested and who don't follow us on Twitter or um, on uh, Letterboxd, we ended up seeing 19 films, and we technically saw 20 screenings because we saw one film twice. Yes. Uh, and I don't think we'll have to talk about that film twice, uh, although we can mention uh, which film it was when we get to it. Yeah. But um, yes, I think we had a really good time. We enjoyed our, our stay uh, outside of Park City. We stayed... What about like like five miles outside or so? It's yeah, and it's still for anybody who doesn't know, it's still technically a part of like the festival area because one of the uh, prominent cinemas uh, that show the Sundance movies is actually right there in the new park uh, complex, which was uh, the Redstone Cinemas. So yeah. we were never literally we were never a walk away from at least like you know part of the action, so to speak. Also, too, the uh, Redstone Cinema is actually a movie theater, so it's pretty interesting to go see a screening of a film that's gotten high praise at Sundance in the theater next door, um, Dirty, Dirty Grandpa's playing. Yeah, it's not interesting. It's, it's just sad because we missed out <laughs> on seeing that. So. Well, we could have doubled up because we could have seen that and 13 Hours, and it would have been your second viewing of 13 Hours. Yeah, which would have been one viewing too many. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the uh, I also want to give a shout out before we get to into our... Uh, experience i just want to give a shout out to del taco the 24-hour taco place uh up at new park because uh you're doing the lord's work by staying open past midnight well that was our first day and we had gotten back late and we were both pretty hungry and yeah, yeah every even mcdonald's was closed yeah, i mean like there are there's a wendy's the mcdonald's the taco bell i mean what taco bell isn't open 24 hours and uh, Del Taco is there. To I think save us. actually we were probably better off because I think I liked Del Taco more than I would have liked uh, McDonald's. I think so. So, so uh, we took off for Utah on Tuesday night, and we arrived there uh, late Tuesday and got a ride from a very nice gentleman named Casey. Yeah, <laughs> Casey. He was, who actually he was ended good. up picking us up uh, a separate occasion to drive us from uh, Redstone to one of the other theaters. Yep. And he was full of all kinds of information. <laughs> he was. He was just a ray of sunshine uh, on that trip. Well, he's probably really excited because this is, I'm sure, by far the most work he gets throughout the entire year. Yeah, so. definitely. Uh, every theater you leave, practically, there are uh, uh, taxis just hanging out there waiting to uh, prey on people. Yeah. <laughs> well, Uber, too, is a, is a big deal out there this this it, time of year. It was. Which makes sense. We even used it ourselves, which I had never done before. Yeah, me. I, I guess I had been in an Uber before, but I had never really gotten involved with figuring out how to get a ride with them. And um, even though we tried really hard to use the free buses, and we, for the most part, did uh, throughout the trip, a couple times we had 
close calls and we didn't want to be too late to the yeah. theater so we did and it just worked out pretty flawlessly actually it did so so yeah we arrived uh, at our hotel late uh, couldn't find the ice machine which was really weird we found out on the final day that uh, it was actually on a different floor which is kind of bullshit like why would the ice machine be on the first floor the vending machine was on our floor but uh-huh. like on the other side of the floor than the, um, uh, the the ice machine was on the third floor which makes me think like what else were they hiding on like all the different floors <laughs> Yeah, that was that was kind of weird. But we got past it. Uh, we got to uh, early the next morning and uh, made it to our first screening, which was at the Library Theater. And uh, we're going to go through each day and each film one at a time and just talk a little bit about each. We're not really going to do too much in terms of spoilers since these all these films aren't technically released yet. We and, will, uh, I will say, talk at least about, it, or at least not for everyone, but at least for some of them, we will definitely mention like the premise of the movie, like if it if it was covered, or if it still is covered on the Sundance site, as to what the movies are about. I was going to say, I'm pretty much going to go through word for word on yeah. those premises. Just want to make sure, in case people don't want to hear anything about them, then this is not the episode for you, but we're not going to really go in like depth as to plot mechanics and all that. Yeah, I think we're just going to talk about our feelings on the films, yeah. and whether it was you know funny, or scary, or yep. scary for the wrong reason. Or anything like that. So that'll be good. All right. So, as I mentioned, day one, uh, off early on to the library theater. Uh, We got there two hours early because we didn't really know what to expect. (laughs) And uh, there was nobody else there as far as uh, waiting for the movie. Yeah, there were some volunteers there. And that's another thing that I I didn't even think about before was the uh, extremely high amount of volunteers that are everywhere. And they really are helpful. Yeah, they were. I mean, they were at like practically every bus stop, uh, every, uh, you know, festival like if something is associated with the festival like even a banner i think there were people standing under you know it's just it it was just like you could at least be comforted by the fact that you could find a volunteer somewhere whenever you needed one and they all i would say almost always uh had the correct answer to whatever questions we had and even if they didn't they all had a radio system where they could call somebody and ask so that was very helpful and they always had you make sure you got on the right bus or if you needed help getting uh, walking directions for some reason they were they were really helpful so uh, big shout out to the sundance volunteers who were uh, a big help for myself and nicholas on this trip the first film we saw at the library theater was the intervention the uh, film from clea duval it is her directorial debut she's been in a couple things here and there probably most people would remember her from argo i guess yeah i guess (laughs) Unfortunately, she hasn't really gotten her due yeah. as to, like to what you would have seen her in. She was just randomly in a Better Call Saul episode as mm-hmm. a uh, nurse attending to uh, Jimmy's brother. Anyway, that's really random, but yeah. it happened. But anyways, she uh, wrote and directed this film, as it definitely, after seeing the uh, post-film Q&A, was definitely a passion project for her, uh, as this film is about a control freak bride-to-be, whose name is Annie, as she's gathering a group of her friends at a picturesque Savannah family summer home of sisters Jesse and Ruby as they try to convince Ruby and her turned uh, toxic husband, or her, sorry, her husband Peter, that their relationship has turned toxic. <laughs> turned toxic husband. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was pretty poetic. I, I'm I, a little I, upset I, that that's not how it goes. <laughs> anyway. uh, joined by Annie's easygoing and reluctant uh, husband Jack uh, and... 
uh, Jesse's fiance Sarah, as well as the sprightly 22-year-old girlfriend of... Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm really fucking this yeah, up. Yeah, what are you reading over um, So Annie's easygoing fiance, Jesse's partner Sarah, as well as the reluctant Jack and his sprightly 22-year-old girlfriend. The intervention goes throughout a booze-fueled weekend... Which um which which has the people avoiding dealing with their own vices and regrets. There are some big words. I feel in like these if I could just step in, mm-hmm. um, here's the real premise: uh, eight couples get together as six eight, eight couples, or not eight couples, eight people. Sorry, four couples get together. All right, you know what? Uh huh. Great. I'm just you know now I'm okay. Four couples get together, okay. which consists of eight people, mm-hmm. uh, to spend a weekend together. And unbeknownst to one of the couples, uh, the other six had planned a marriage intervention for them. That's pretty much it. I think that's like the gist. Obviously, there's more. maybe we should just do our own descriptions of these. Films. I think it might be the best. Okay, because okay. some of these words are honestly yeah. like unnecessarily yeah. big. Just so. put it away. <laughs> well, I would like to maybe announce some of the other people who are starring in the. Film. Okay, okay. So that might be uh, a worth it. Um, all, in addition to uh, Melanie Linsky, who actually won an award there for yeah. uh, the U.S. Dramatic Special Jury Award for well individual des- performance. Well deserved. I would agree. Uh, Kobe Smothers from How I Met Your Mother is yep. here also with Alia Shawkat? Shawkat? Shawkat, whatever. Um, Claire Duval stars in this film, as I mentioned. Also, Natasha Leon, Ben Schwartz. Vincent Piazza and uh, Jason Ritter. Ritter. Yep, is, is it, that is correct. It's it's Jason. Yes, right? John you is got his it. father. Okay. Correct. Okay, very good. Should so, we? There we go. Before we get into any more, I just want to also point out one other thing. <laughs> uh, for each of these movies, I think it might be fun to like say if it was a Alex pick, a Nick pick, or a both pick, just okay. to kind of maybe show people how easy or difficult it might be to coordinate even amongst two people as far as like how many films are and whatnot. Because we each came up with our own list, and then we created a master list of uh, a combined list between the two, uh, prioritizing both lists and films that we had in common. Okay. So uh, the intervention was one that was on both of our lists that we wanted to see. Yes, it was. So what did you think of the intervention, Alex? Well, um... Especially the second time, because this is the one. Uh, ah, spoiler. Yeah. This is the one that we ended up seeing uh, for a second time because it ended up just working out with our schedule on the final day, and there were no other films that we could get tickets for at that time. So we just ended up going to see it again. Uh, I was a big fan both times. I really uh, enjoyed this film. I think the really uh, kind of out of left field thing for me for this film was how funny it is, because I feel like this film. Uh, for me, was the funniest film we saw at the festival. There were some other films that I think other people would say were funnier. Uh, but for my kind of humor, this film was right there. And uh, a complaint that I've seen going around about this film is that it's dramatic sort of um, dramatic issues or dramatic uh, themes in the film were not as good as the comedy, which I kind of agree with, but I kind of also don't. So... I really liked uh, the intervention, and I thought it was a really good film, and I'm really glad it was the first film we saw, because we could have started with one of the other films that we both didn't like, and that would have kind of gotten things off to a sour note, but we started with this film, and it was funny, and it was uh, got me really in the mood for it, and I really liked the question and answer session at the end of the intervention, because pretty much six out of the eight people who are in the film were there uh, to answer questions, and it was pretty genuine, I thought, their reactions to... Uh, getting this film made and completed and uh, screened at Sundance. So I really like that and the film in general. 
Yeah, I also agree that this was probably like the perfect movie to start our first festival up uh, with because it is quite a crowd pleaser, and I don't mean that as a pejorative, but like it's just uh, it's very fun to watch, and especially fun to watch with other people uh, as everybody's laughing at the jokes and whatnot, and uh, and it certainly I would think even ramped up in that respect, whereas like the first five minutes there wasn't too much laughing or so, and not because there were jokes because there were, but it's like the more we got to know these characters the more i think the whole room was really getting into it and um i am one of those people uh who do think that the dramatic parts of it uh don't quite work uh and especially since we saw it a second time uh i feel like they they worked less the second time around for me um i agree that the the movie is quite funny uh but this is a perfect example for me of uh, the kind of movie that only succeeds because of its cast. I think the script could have used quite a few passes. Um, and, like, I think these jokes aren't that inherently funny, but because this cast is so good at delivering them, uh, at least for the comedy, then it ends up not mattering. But then for the drama, uh, that this, the script does not serve them well. Uh. I guess I'll, I'll disagree with that a little bit because I do think one of the strengths of this film is that it... It doesn't really paint a picture of uh, issues being black and white because I think we see the, the title of the intervention and people are going to have their minds made up on things. And there are, are many issues, whether it be uh, relationship struggles or alcoholism that are brought up throughout the film. And I think it does a really nice job of not painting any of those issues and sort of people's lives as open or shut or black and white or whatever. There's a lot of gray area with people here, which I think is why I like the dramatic issues in this film so much, because I feel like it's saying that really you should not completely judge something one way or the other, you know, right off the bat, because everything isn't always a black or white issue. You know, people shouldn't always get divorced just because you see them having a really tough time or someone shouldn't be put into therapy because you think they're an alcoholic and you know, everyone, there's always more to the story. I feel like, yeah, I would say that, this is a 90-minute movie, roughly, maybe 100 minutes, mm-hmm. but around that neighborhood, and it tries to tell four complete arcs with each couple. And I'm not saying that, of course, some of them are given more weight than others, but I think there, that right there was the first problem of the script, and that's why uh, when we get to the real dramatic stakes of like the two central couples, because I think two are kind of secondary couples and the other two are kind of the front row couples, uh then that's why it kind of becomes this tug of war of like, did we need to really actually develop the other two couples if it kind of, for me, cuts into the other two? Just the fact that I keep saying the word two and cuts it, like I think that it shows for me that how messy the script is. Hmm. Uh, but it, it but it certainly does flow well as far as from scene to scene. It's just every time we got to a big dramatic revelation, I was kind of having it undercut by uh, how little we certain like like when you brought up alcoholism, and I won't get into specifics, but like. I think that that's essentially reduced to a punchline here instead of like an actual resolve, and that certainly hurt it for me. Okay. Um, but in general, I, I, I did enjoy watching it. I just don't know that I was really ever on 
bored with it, especially in the second uh, viewing. Well, I was a huge fan. I laughed pretty much the whole way through both times we viewed it. I think there were a lot of really strong standout scenes, and I thought there were a lot of really great performances here, especially Melody Linsky, who had won the award. I agree. She might be one of my all-time favorite performances of the festival that we saw. And uh, actually, randomly, I also thought Clea Duvall's character was really good in a smaller role because I feel like she's kind of the opposite of what Melanie Linsky's character here is, where she's she seems very comfortable in herself, where Melanie Linsky's character is not comfortable with herself at all. And uh, I, um, I kind of like that about Clay Duvall's character, and I guess that's probably one of the strengths of writing and directing your own acting performance, is that you probably have one of the more developed characters. Yeah. So uh, I liked uh, both of them, and also Vincent Piazza from... Boardwalk Empire, who I uh, really liked here because he wasn't playing a gangster for the first time I've ever seen him on screen. I will say one other thing. Mm-hmm. As far as the second time I watched it, I think he was miscast. Okay. I um, I don't think, like, it's not that I was cringing or I'm like, wow, he's being a bad performer or anything like that, but I definitely think the second time around, uh, considering the third act, I would say, uh, developments, uh, it's funny as it might be, that's also undercut some of the dramatic uh, underpinnings, and I think somebody else could have balanced that better. And okay. He was my least favorite actor, and considering he's part of one of the core couples, uh, that's kind of a saying a lot for me and how much I can or will enjoy it. Well, we could disagree on that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so we're going to rank all of these films, uh, how we saw them, and um, this film was high on my list. It was number four out of 19. I was a big fan of The Intervention. And for me, sorry, I had to load this up. It was number 11 out of 19. Okay, so not not bad. Pretty good Yes, overall. right down the middle for, yeah. for the most part. So uh, pretty good praise for our first film, which was The Intervention. Uh, afterwards, uh, we didn't really have a, a film plan, so we kind of went to the box office for the first time. And uh, this is where we actually collected our... Uh, books that we were pretty much allowed to get with our ticket packages and they are pretty awesome i have to say yeah. they're pretty large and, and detailed and they have all really a lot of the same information that the website has but it's nice to have something that you can you know pull out of the closet in five years or something like that yeah for sure so we're big fans of that um and it sucked we had to carry it around for us today but you know whatever <laughs> so then we decided to uh find a, a different film and this actually i pretty much i'd say i picked this one you out did. i was uh... uh it's not like we had a lot of options this was no. one of the three cho- choices that we had for this time but i decided to pick this film out and it was a uh, a chinese film called pleasure love was an hour and 40 minute film uh, that revolves around two sets of lovers as uh, they show the differences between uh, the age discrepancies between two uh, different I wouldn't say generations, but no, two but... different groups of, of people. And um, we to... see the stories, the parallels that are had in the stories as it moves through the first and second uh, story it shows. The couples are essentially flipped in the sense that the first couple uh, depicts a older woman with a younger man. Mm-hmm. And then the, the flip side of that happens in the second story where we see a coupling of a uh, older man and a younger woman. So this was a, a very interesting film because really I don't think either of us had any knowledge about what we were going to be seeing other than the small description that they provided and uh, the one photo which was two naked people on a couch which i feel like you don't even ever get that in the film which was kind of weird i mean you get it somewhat but you yeah i was gonna say it's in the film yeah but it's it's i guess the representation of what the rest of the film was going to be was a little different than what that image was not very concerned at all with erotica but Mm -hmm. not 
not a, with sex. I think yeah. that is a certain central component of it. So, um, Nick, uh, I think you probably like this film a little more than I did. So why don't you go ahead and kind of start with your quick feelings on it? I did. I This was the one that you picked. I was just not having any expectations whatsoever. And it's certainly, uh, I would say, caught me by surprise. It's a movie that for me at least definitely snuck up on me um you know uh and it's also very hard to talk about without spoiling so i won't talk about specifics but i will say that the second half certainly uh through its uh parallels with the first half and through the way that it deconstructs the same tropes but from a different angle uh sheds light on the first half in ways i was not expecting and uh it was just kind of by the time the second half starts i was just all of a sudden realized how on board with this film I was that uh, this this is a movie that stuck with me throughout the entire festival and I'm so glad that you picked it out because I would probably never would have watched it and uh, I was I was a big fan yeah I remember sitting in the theater and even though this wasn't necessarily my favorite film yeah. of the festival I, I did quite enjoy it and I think the the cool thing about this film was that really the first half I felt like was really dull like I had really no real interest i just thought it was actually kind of melodramatic throughout the first half of really the, yeah huh. just a little bit um i thought it was more subdued just okay. because like there's not a lot of like over the top like conflict other than well, like toward the very yeah end. but that was that's kind of more a teenager I, not I, so much well yeah but yeah. that still is what the you know the, that 10 minutes of the film seemed like to me but huh. um so but i didn't hate it. I was yeah. kind of interest, intrigued of what the second half of the film is going to bring. And that's, uh, I think, one of the, the strengths of this film, obviously, is that the second half totally makes the first half seem that much better. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, and it was uh, a lot of fun to watch. And it's one of those films where you see, uh, I wouldn't say the same scenes, but similar scenes happen again in the second half of the film that are paralleled with the first half. And I think it really makes the film come together completely then. Yeah, I agree. And the last thing I'll say for me is that like, I also just love that it touched on a lot of different themes without, for me, coming off too messy because they all kind of were intertwined to begin with, whether it's like generational gaps and how love uh, is experienced from one you know age to another and uh, the kind of how you can look backwards and forwards at it uh, with completely different perspectives. So I was just the fact that it covered all that and for me covered it well was just quite uh, quite a kick in the pants for the second movie. <laughs> yeah, and then since it was out of kind of nowhere that we decided to go to, I hadn't actually even heard about it until the day we went to go see it. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely pretty cool and I'm I'm we always should. a fan of films that are uh, in Mandarin, so that was that was nice to have that with the with the subtitles. It was a a really beautiful film too. I think that yeah. also caught me by surprise. Cinematography was wonderful. I yeah, think absolutely, that's like one of those uh, uncontestable things about the movie. <laughs> Other than I, I think they used CGI snow, which was really kind of weird. But uh, I'll, 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 I'll let it pass this time. Um, one other thing I want to mention is that I think we should also mention that we saw this at the Egyptian Theater, which mm -hmm. I think was a pretty cool theater because that's like one of their. Um, actual theaters that they actually because a lot of the other theaters like the library theater were like turned into theaters so to speak mm -hmm. but this has you know your classic and standard marquee out front and uh the inside was quite uh 
I don't know, just something in, warm and inviting for like the old like cinephiles. The old crickety wooden floor yeah. as you walk in, and like during the film, when people went up and went to the bathroom, you like you could hear them walking through, which yeah. I guess some people would think was annoying, but I actually really quite liked because yeah. it makes you feel like you're actually in somewhere that's a, a real theater. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I was a fan. Um, I, I guess it's not that high on my rankings because I, I liked a lot of films more. And that's something that'll be a theme for me is that I really liked a lot of the films we saw. And I thought it I would be a little more lukewarm on a lot of them. But I, I really did enjoy this film. And especially I'm going to like seeing it a second time because it'll make the first half stand out that much more. Um, and it's number 13 out of 19 on my list. Yeah, for me, it comes in at number six, so just oh. outside of my top five, which are kind of the five that I loved, and mm. everything after that is a whole other level, but it's just right up there. It's funny, too, because I feel like, it, you know, you always say a top five is kind of like a, it's a, you know, really stands out in terms of five is a good number, and it's a satisfying number for our brains, but I feel the same way, too, where even though I really like my six through uh, ninth film, or eighth film at least, um, the top five were films that I absolutely would watch pretty much any day of the week. So yeah. so moving on to our third film of the festival, which was back at the library theater, seeing the documentary Holy Hell, which was directed and um, pretty much completely made by uh, Will Allen, who uh, is a first-time filmmaker and had been in a, a cult for 25 years or thereabouts, 20 years? 20-year process, I think it was. Yeah. And, and we should point out that he was the first, it wasn't his first feature film, but I think it's the oh, first okay. one to ever get an actual release. And just, oh, okay. Especially because the documentary shows that he had been, quote-unquote, making movies, so to speak. But he mentioned in the Q&A that it wasn't his first feature film, and they didn't quite explain it. But, hmm. but anyway. Okay. Well, anyways, this was the first time I had ever heard of anyone right. named Will Allen. Same. So, um, But he... Brought this film to Sundance about a cult called the Buddha Fields, who started in California in the late 1980s and uh, were they managed in California. I think so. I thought they started in uh, Park City, Utah. Well, they, there was oh, footage that was like, shown in Park City. Right, right. It's like it's, that's when he kind of joined. Yeah. Okay, sorry, I got confused. But it seemed like they were in California for the most part early on in the film. Okay. As uh, their leader uh, was a gentleman who was calling himself Michelle at the time. And he was a very interesting fellow who claimed he had pretty much a two-way radio to God and could lead them all to salvation and make them all happy and have a good relationship with God. And as uh, you may or may not be able to gather, things started to go downhill as time went on and uh that was pretty much the story of holy hell which one of the great things about the film and also could be one of the downfalls of it is it's pretty much all when you're seeing footage it's real footage that really happened um but it's all you know old home video footage that's shown throughout will allen basically became the de facto filmmaker for the cult itself Mm -hmm. so he was recording like every moment that he could uh and that's what's kind of brings this really unparalleled video access to a cult that I've never seen before. And I think that's the thing that really uh, people gravitated towards, because this is one of the films, and I wouldn't say they're, I mean, obviously, most of the films had most of their screening seats sold. That's what Sundance does. They try to get people to go to all the screenings, whether it be with <clears throat> always having... Um, excess tickets available, waitlist tickets, that kind of thing. But this was one of, I would say, the like 10 or 12 films that I heard people talking about a lot that they were trying to get into screens for, which was Holy Hell. Yep. 
And I could see why, because I feel like on the surface, this is a really interesting film to watch, even though in terms of an actual documentary, it may not be the best made film ever. Yeah. And uh, so I guess as far as like general feelings about it, Mm -hmm. um, A, I should point out that I was the one that picked this. You were. And it was mostly based off of a hunch because when the initial film list was released, Will Allen's name was not attached. It said director undisclosed. So that was like... Pretty much the only reason, besides the fact that I am quite fascinated by uh, religion and cults, uh, I'm like, you know, if he can't say who he is, then there's got to be something wrong here, and there certainly was. Um, this is a film that I liked a lot after we had just seen it, and then liked it a little bit less each day the more I thought about it. Uh, and then it, I would say it came to a halt. It's not like I just keep disliking it more and more and more and more, but... Uh, The once I got past the initial shock and awe of this story, considering it's real and it's horrific, um, I I started to really question if this was the right way to tell this story and whether it is going to be effective in what the creators even say in the Q and A that they wanted to achieve. So I I I feel like this was more self indulgent than it needed to be. Um, For example, just to kind of even though I'm not going to spoil or anything like that, but the movie even ends with a, like, movie that they made during the cult of set to a Snow Patrol song as they all just kind of smile in front of the camera. <laughs> and I think it's to go along with their theme of trying to reclaim this experience for their own purposes and not to let it be, you know, overshadowed by what what awful things happen. But that was kind of, like, the general in that it's like, I'm totally emotionally invested in like I in the emotional story beats but then the more I just started to think about the way the film was put together both on the fact that it was quite an amateur production as to how to put a documentary together uh also if it was even the right way to tell the story it just starting to nag at me a little bit hmm. so what did what did you think I was a fan <laughs> I, I enjoyed it and I've pretty much stayed right around the same I think it has slowly moved a couple spots down my rankings just because I liked other films more and the more I've thought about the film, the more it kind of I feel like the the new car smell thing kind of wears off from this film because it is something that when you're watching it, I think you there's no way you can't be totally um, totally engulfed by what this film is is trying to do. Like I, feel I like, read some reviews that uh, some people were not, and oh. not only that, but like hated the subjects and hmm. could not get past the barrier of like the psychology behind why somebody joined the cult in the first place, which, hmm. yeah, anyway, that's just a random little aside. Well, for me, at least, I guess yeah. I'll just speak for myself on this one. <laughs> uh, I was very much interested from, uh, you know, the, the word go, and I really enjoyed what the film was trying to do because I feel like seeing actual footage and actually seeing the beginning of what the cult was, and, and I think that was a, a big part for me, is that this film uh, shows a lot of the early on footage, and it shows a lot throughout the years, but I would say that the ratio of early footage to the rest of the 20 years uh, is a little swayed towards the earlier footage, yeah. which I think is important, actually, for this film, because it's showing, really, to everybody, why these people felt that they would you know, feel comfortable and felt like this was home for them. And uh, I felt like that was something that people, some people even in the audience audibly uh, made it clear that they could not figure out why someone would get sucked into this. And I think that, that the explanations and the early on, you know, first 20 minutes of the film really show is that 
here are the reasons why people who have kind of lost their way could get sucked into something like this. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of of two minds of that now, which is not that I can't understand why somebody would get sucked into it, because I totally can, and that's why I'm fascinated by this. Like, I mean, that's that's anybody could get sucked into a cult, and I know that I'll, like a lot of people would say there's no way they could, but every single person is trying to find some form of happiness that just sometimes it manifests itself in, unfortunately, more mm-hmm. uh, predatory ways. Um, but for me, uh, when we were talking, when you were just talking about how like the earlier scenes are kind of a little bit unbalanced with the later scenes, I agree that it could be an important decision as far as like trying to get you in their mindset, but we're not in their mindset because we do find out later that we don't have all the information for a large uh, majority of the running time. So that's why looking back at this film for me, uh, it, it it doesn't quite work because I, I want to understand how these two experiences that were unfolding at the same time did coexist together. Now you say that, but I think an interesting part and kind of going opposite of what you're saying is that we don't have all the information the entire time, but at the same time, a lot of people who are in the cult didn't have all the information at this at the same time either. So, Well, I guess we don't have the most important piece of information. Uh, and of course, this is getting very... Uh, uh, broad because we yeah. can't say what it is. Yeah. But as much as yes, all the people in the cult didn't have like all the pieces. They had their own piece, and okay. that piece alone speaks volumes about what's happening. That um, to not reveal it late in the game felt more like a cheap shock uh, hmm. because it doesn't quite give weight to the psychological struggle. I actually completely disagree okay. because I feel like. What I just mentioned, it is important to know that this really, I think, was the same kind of shock to a lot of the people in the cult. Because not that they didn't believe that it was going on, because obviously it was happening to a number of people involved in the cult. However, um, I feel like since their mindset was so just completely swayed towards believing what Michelle or Andreas or whatever he was calling himself at the current time was doing, that they just could not see what was really happening. And I think that's important that we see it in the film when really uh, in, the, in the images we're seeing, when people start to really start believe uh, the, the thing that happens that we're talking about. So I, I see what you're saying, but I, I guess I'm kind of on the other side of the argument of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah it's just one of those things that okay. like, um, I guess to reiterate one other little thing is that it's not so much that I don't understand why they wouldn't hold off on it because I get that, we are in their mindset in the sense that we don't tr- truly get to know the information until the moment that they all finally believe the information. Mm-hmm. But I also question the validity behind that method if they do believe that what is happening uh, and they do know about is happening. They're not in disbelief that the uh, the, the certain actions being taken by whatever is being happening it's not that they're in disbelief of that they just think that it doesn't spread as far as it does Hmm. and so that's a huge thing to leave out for me uh especially for a second viewing so gotcha all right well um uh nick picked this out so i'll let him go last with his uh with his rating but uh, i uh gave this uh i this was my ninth favorite film out of the 19 we saw and it was uh, early on obviously since it was the first day it was right up at the top and it has been a film that has slowly creeped down, but still a big fan of Holy Hell. Yeah. Well, this came at uh, number 12, okay. and I just want to say that any number higher than that on my list are films that I did not like. So I did enjoy this. Wait, uh, any number 
higher higher or? as in um like the numerical higher oh, okay like, so 13 through 19 are films that i genuinely don't really have any interest in ever watching again okay very good well yeah. we'll see if we'll find out what those films are <laughs> I, I have an idea of what one might I, I be. I think you do. And it could be the next film we're talking about. What? Uh, and that is uh, <laughs> the film that actually, even if you, you don't like it, it was a really cool experience because this is yeah. the one film we saw at the festival that was a world premiere. So um, especially for the second half of the fest, this is something that's kind of rare yeah. where a film gets its world premiere. So no one in the first half of the fest had a chance to see this one. Uh, and that was Frank and Lola, yes. starring Michael Shannon and I always forget how to uh, pronounce her name. You know, it's like Emo Emi uh, or something like that. Mm, Potts. Mm. I don't know how you say her name, but she's been around. People mm. people know who she is. I think. I thought right? it was Poots. Oh. Is it Potts? I, whatever. It's fine. She, she's the girl, and she's Lola. We'll call her Lola. Wow. I think that's good. I think it's better for she everybody. Like Frank. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, this film is about uh, two characters who are in a relationship as they have troubled past for different reasons and uh, frank who is a chef in las vegas and lola who actually we don't really know that much about uh is a is a student uh, at a a beauty school or a clothing uh i genuinely forget okay she she <laughs> oh up... she's a uh, person who does fashion shows, yeah she, right? so she's in so fashion she's more into fashion yes. fashion school or whatever yeah. you call that uh, and she ends up uh, getting more into that field as the film progresses. But the story really revolves around um, kind of deceit between the two of them as they both have other things happening in their lives that more gets revealed and then other characters become involved who are part of the deceit that they're uh, playing on each other. And we sort of see how their relationship progresses throughout the film in a different way, shapes, or forms. So this was... My film that I was looking forward to the most out yeah. of any film at the festival, I was very excited for it. And even though I did genuinely like it, uh, I was kind of disappointed by how this film played out. Because even though I thought the middle part of the film actually was really good, and I really enjoyed everything that was happening, because we moved so much from one high to a low to a low to a high, which I feel like really works really well for this film because it's what the characters are going through, especially Michael Shannon, because he's really happy about something. And all of a sudden he's in a completely different mindset when he finds out some more information as things get revealed, sort of your feeling on the characters change and the characters feeling on the other characters change as well, which I thought was really good. I will say though, the last act in the finale of this film was really disappointing because I, I wanted it to be something that it ended up not being. And it's too bad because I feel like, this film ended quite um, tepidly. Yeah, it's it pretty. I was gonna say, I feel for like such was, an electrically charged movie, mm, uh, it just the circuit turns off. I and I that was the biggest problem I had is that I feel like a the the final like twenty minutes are really dull, and b the actual like climax of the film was just a real big turnoff, and it it just did not live up to what the rest of the film had really brought, especially for me because I was really into what this film was doing. And unfortunately, the ending kind of fell flat. So uh, that was really what I felt about the film. And I, I will say that, for me at least, uh, Michael Shannon's performance of Frank was my favorite male performance of the entire festival. I Really? really? Yeah, I really okay. enjoyed what he was bringing to the table. He's a very weird guy in real life, as we <laughs> saw from the Q&A. But I, I oh, thought boy. he really um, <laughs> enveloped what the character was trying to be. And he was 
did a really great job, I thought, of both playing a good and bad guy at the same time. So I, I really liked what Michael Shannon brought to the table. In this film, at least, he was in another film, which we may mention later, that wasn't quite as good uh, in terms of his performance, at least. But um, yeah, Frank and Lola wasn't as good as I was expecting, but I, I still enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. This is a movie that was on my list as well, as far as we both wanted to see this mm-hmm. to some degree. It was certainly, I was not as anticipating it as you were. So my reaction is more, I would say, less dramatic as far as what I was expecting out of it and what I got. And fortunately, what I got was a movie that I was not ultimately a fan of. I, it's nowhere near the worst movie I saw at this festival uh, at all. I mean, like there are certainly good things in it, and it has merit. And one big amount of praise I will give it uh, before I kind of state what my problems are is that I don't think a director has truly captured the feeling and atmosphere of noir filmmaking uh, in a modern day context than what uh, uh, Matthew Matt, Ross, Matthew Ross, not Matt Ross, who is a different person that had a movie at this year's fest, but Matthew Ross. Uh, I don't think anyone since, you know, I'm trying to think without like literally hearkening back to what noir used to look like with the black and white photography and people calling each other dull face. Like this actually embodies what noir used to attempt to do. And for that, I give it credit because that's kind of a hard thing to pull off in 2016. Hmm. Uh, um, Having said that, this movie stops being a noir at the time when it needs to continue and commit to that conceit because it goes off the rails for me, uh, especially in the third act when it, pretend that it was a relationship drama all yeah. along and I, I i get that the title was right there and it's not that this movie was never concerned with the relationship but it it it's it it thought it was having a uh before uh sunset uh moment at uh ending so to speak when it didn't realize that you can't do that after a, a an 80 minute noir like you know you have to it was just so weirdly it was that's that's ultimately my thing is the movie is way more invested in quote unquote Frank and Lola than I ever was. Yeah. And that's its ultimate failure for me. I pretty much agree with what you're talking about about their relationship right. because even though I enjoyed a, a lot of their early on relationship, I feel like making that the entire point of the finale really turned off the the rest of the film for me. Yeah. Or, or turned off that part of the film at least for me. And yeah, I, I I really love the setting too. I mean, this is in two of my favorite places in the whole world, which is Las Vegas and Paris. And uh, Michael Shannon, who's a chef, there's a great scene of him cooking and actually showing him like taking dishes out of the oven and um, moving them Whoa. places. And that was, you know, I liked it. <laughs> no, just, well, whatever. Just kidding. I'm sure you are. Uh, no, but <laughs> no one believes you. Uh, and also, too, another thing about Michael Shannon, which is why I liked him so much uh, in this film, is that I feel like he was perfectly cast for the role or the role was perfectly made for him because early in the film, when there are uh, quite a few comedic spots, they're really all delivered by him and they're all delivered in very sarcastic low tone, which was just perfect for what this film was trying to do early on. I agree with that. And especially that Michael Shannon was perfectly cast, even if I'm not a big Michael Shannon fan, Mm -hmm. he's got the stoic demeanor, uh, meets impassioned kind of involvement in the quote-unquote uh, central case. Like, you know, noir characters have to both be these tough guys, but also these tough guys who can't quite pull themselves away from a car crash, so to speak. And, yeah. Uh, he definitely nailed that. And I will say one other thing is that technically the uh, cinematography was also fantastic. I, you know, it's just the story didn't really support all these great things for me. 
I would, for the most part, agree with what you were saying, even though I think I enjoyed the film more than you. Yep. Frank and Lola was number 10 out of 19 for me at the Sundance 2016 Festival. And for me, it was, uh, whoop, I almost said the wrong number. <laughs> it was number 13. Okay. So, yeah. Not bad. Yeah. I think we're kind of, I think we had a lot of the same feelings, even though yeah. I think I, I liked it a little more than you. Yeah. The, the divide, as far as what I just talked about, holy hell, marks the end of the film that I liked, and Frank and Lola uh, marks the beginning of the film that I didn't really care for. Hmm. Right on. So, moving on to day two, um, had a really tough time sleeping the day uh, in between, <laughs> which was not good because uh, day two was a very long day. Had to have that Del Taco. Yeah, well, you know, I think that may have been part of the problem. You know, I, I had yeah. Del Taco, and then I slept for a couple hours, and I couldn't fall back asleep. So, uh, day two started with a film that I picked out, which is really too bad. <laughs> uh, it was a film called The Free World, starring Boyd Hallberg and Elizabeth Moss. Uh, and this film is about a man who was recently released from prison who is uh, taking care of animals at a local shelter. And he uh, ends up coming into having to pretty much harbor a, um, a person who is wanted fugitive. for murder, a fugitive yeah. who is Elizabeth Moss and uh, kind of how their relationship progresses. And yeah, this was the first film of the festival that I was not impressed with. Yeah. I, I was too bad because I obviously really wanted to see this film and I thought it was going to be good. And even though it did have a couple moments that I liked, uh, overall, it was not a very good film at all. Uh, no, I would agree. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely hated this movie. There is literally not a single thing about this movie that worked for me. And that mm -hmm. goes from the performances to the script to the direction. I thought everything here... Uh, this is the... Uh, unfortunately for me, the free world is the perfect example of why some people hate Sundance. <laughs> because movies like this exist. And it's like we should have given that slot to any other film because yeah. 4,000 movies or so uh, get submitted each year and you can't tell me that there was not a lot of movies that had to have been better than this because this is the most uh, cliched and it also doesn't help the fact that it is completely uh, treading ground that currently Sundance Channel's own original programming uh, show Rectify is already treading and not just treading but blowing a lot of other TV shows out of the water uh, so it's just completely untimely on its part too. Uh, it it was just it it made me hate Elizabeth Moss and I Moss and I love Elizabeth Moss. So it no small feat there that this was. I'll just say it right now. This was the worst movie I saw of this entire festival. Yeah, I I was really not that big of a fan. Uh, Boyd Holbrook, I actually think he's a horrible actor, and I've really never liked him in anything he's been in uh, except for maybe his small role that he had in Gone Girl. But that's just because I thought he was cast really well as a creepy guy and he was only in about four minutes of the film so yeah. it kind of worked i forgot what he was in gone girl yep there you go yeah, yeah. so uh here I, I just don't really know what was happening in this film in terms of what this showed the sundance other than maybe there was a you know a little money under the table or something but i'm not really sure why this was brought to the festival i will say though um i disagree with what you're saying about the final uh scene and climactic part of the film because i know you you said it was very um, hilarious well yeah you did not you did not like it and i i quite enjoyed it actually so that was the one redeeming part of the film that i i liked because i felt like i was so bored throughout the beginning part of the film and 
well, you can say it, but you, you, I guess you can say that you didn't like it, which is totally um, valid well, because it is kind of silly. No, it, it, you're, you're right at there because I, even though I liked it, I could see why anybody would think it was not good. Yeah. But at least it was a little more energetic than early on in the film because the, a lot of the film is just, oh, well, yeah. I'm in like very bad cliches like him converting to Islam. and uh, in, This is a movie I don't know. that wants to remind you that metaphors and films are a good thing and should happen every moment because we have like housewives getting into dog cages and we have yeah. the fact that his shelter is called the second hope shelter <laughs> and yeah i'm not even going to continue listing all the cliched symbolism in this movie but yeah. uh to sum this entire uh, experience of watching this movie up for me is that the free world is the example of what i fear every sundance movie to be before i see it like it's the thing i don't want any of them to be and it unfortunately played into Every single aspect of that. Yeah, well, I agree. And it was number 17 out of 19 on my list. And it's number 19 out of 19 for me. Yep, so not a lot of praise for The Free World. Moving to another film that I picked out uh, next, which was at the Library Theater. I guess we should mention that The uh, Free World was a, the first film we saw at Redstone, which was yep. a nice little walk from our hotel to yep. that. And then we went to the Library Theater where we saw the documentary Trapped, which was about abortion laws in the South and about how there are these trap laws now, which really uh, don't make abortion illegal because it still is legal, but they make it very difficult to get one yes. if you are in need of one yes. or want to get one. And uh, the film really moves between Mississippi and it's very Georgia. southern-oriented yes. movie because that's where these laws are really, uh, I think, becoming a stranglehold on the, on the area. And uh, this is a, a film that I, I feel like I liked and I, I enjoyed while I was watching it. And I, I think the important thing for me is that I think what the, the message of this film had is a good thing. Like, I think people should actually know more about these laws in these states because abortion is something that is still legal as of recording this episode in this country. And I think if you are a state that is like actively working to make laws against a federal law that is kind of not necessarily the best thing. And especially for women who a lot of women as shown in this film are not necessarily, didn't necessarily want to get pregnant or it was forced upon them that were getting pregnant. So that's something that I, I think is important, but I will say that I think uh, this film could have been done a lot better. And I, I, I wish it was because I, I really wanted to like this film a lot and I, I did still enjoy it, but I think this film had a hard time really trying to figure out what it wanted to say in a way that could keep the audience interested through the entire 100 minutes. Yeah, this is a movie that had no faith in its audience willingness to <laughs> go along with a movie about abortion laws. It, uh, it Every time that they kept bringing up the, I forget what the law itself is called, and I think that's ultimately a clear indication of the movie's failure, but the HB50 or something, something like, that, like that, yeah. that's the name of the law, so to speak, of the trapped uh, thing. Uh, every time I kept bringing that up, I kept forgetting that that's actually the subject of this documentary because it too many times uh, tries to mix the personal with the broad strokes. And I get why you would do that because you're trying to humanize uh, the issue at hand by showing like intimate portrayals of the people that it affects instead of just saying, well, this will affect so many women, whatever. Uh, but this was not the balance to strike for me uh, to make that work. I, I was not a fan of this really. I, I didn't hate it or anything, but ultimately you could learn a lot more by watching or by 
doing anything but watching this documentary because <laughs> unfortunately you're going to sit through a lot of material that I think its target audience already knows because this is a movie that, that opens up with uh, a newsreel clip of Walter Cronkite mm-hmm. uh, basically uh, reporting on the Roe versus Wade decision. And mm-hmm. It's like yeah we get it and it's like that's what i mean by it kind of undermined its own and target audience's intelligence because this is not for movie this is not the movie for people who aren't going to be swayed to uh you know become pro-choicers so therefore don't talk down to the people who are already on its side and that's ultimately uh that that was the movie's biggest failure for me and why i was just ultimately not a fan i mean there were certain some great scenes but it did not add up to a good whole yeah i i I guess i would actually agree with that that i i still liked the film and i thought it was was pretty decent um but i feel like when in a in a festival where you see a lot of films, pretty decent is not necessarily what you should be going for. So, yeah, yeah um, the Trapped film uh, was number 15 out of 19 on my list. It was number 15 hey, on my look list. At that. Hey, look at that. So, therefore, you should ultimately take this as, like, the most, uh, I would say, sound opinion ever because we both agreed. Yeah. Hey, like, one of the first times ever. How about yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so after Trapped, we uh, made our first trip to the Temple Theater, uh, which is not in downtown Park City. It is kind of halfway between Park City and our hotel, so you have to take a bus that goes specifically to the Temple Theater. And this is where we saw a film that uh, both myself and Nick wanted to see, and it was a film that Nick uh, very much enjoyed. So why don't you go ahead and start us off and talk about the film called Mammal. It was. I uh, The reason I wanted to see it, besides the fact that I thought the premise was interesting, was because Rachel Griffiths was in it. And mm-hmm. I thought she's always been underrated since her days uh, as uh, Brenda Chenoweth on Six Feet Under. And this is a movie that surpassed my expectations. I was expecting to like enjoy it because it's kind of hard to screw up something like this premise for, for me. But uh, just to kind of give context, this is a movie about uh, a woman who uh, gets in contact with her ex-husband all of a sudden uh, after so many years, and he informs her essentially that the son that she abandoned when he left, when she left uh, him and the son has tragically died at the age of 18. Mm-hmm. And as a reaction to that, she finds a homeless boy one night, uh, you know, not doing too well, and uh, she takes him in, and it becomes this very, for me... Uh, interesting and emotionally charged uh, exploration of of grief and how we reconcile with these kind of feelings when we don't even know if we should be feeling them in the first place because by all accounts and purposes she didn't know her own child and and the kind of how guilt and grief are almost two interchangeable emotions so i absolutely loved it well i think another thing that really helped this film too was the sort of tone and look of the film because this film is an Irish film so it takes place in Ireland yeah and I feel like there there is not a sunny moment in the film it is a very cloudy sort of gloomy um, view when you're watching this film when during the daytime scenes and I feel like that perfectly encapsulates of what the the film was going for is that it's uh, in this very difficult time and actually I think difficult life for the main character is as she clearly has some problems that she's had in her life whether it be issues with with not being able to be a parent or uh, not being able to hold down a relationship she seems like she's been struggling to go through life and she lands at this point and um, I feel like reacts to her situation a lot differently than it would usually be portrayed in film which I feel like was pretty refreshing actually for sure and I think 
the relationship, so to speak, between Margaret, uh, you know, the 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 woman who has just lost her child but haven't really, uh, yeah. and and Joe, the the homeless young child uh, that she brings in, is one is one of the most fascinating central relationships I think we saw in a fe- in the fest the uh, for the whole festival because it keeps tiptoeing this line between. Uh, trying to redefine what the, where the boundaries are between them and where they should be, and and how that continues to inform the decisions that each make. I, it's uh, it's one of those movies that I it's the movie that I uh, cannot stop thinking about, and I cannot wait to watch it again. Yeah, I'll agree that it was it was really good. I, I did not like it quite as much as you did. Um, I I still feel like a lot of what this film was going for worked really well, and I think this is. One of those films that uh, we've we've said before, a phrase that it's a grower, not a shower, for me at least. I feel like this is a film, just like Pleasure Love is going to be eventually, that it's going to be even that much better on the second viewing. And uh, I, I think this will be a film that you watch differently the second time, and I think it'll make it that much better even. Yeah. Um, I, I will say I have to throw one thing out there that I, I, I've told you about while we were at the festival, but I... I still absolutely love this because I feel like this is something that is so anti what Hollywood usually goes for. And I absolutely loved it, which was 47 year old Rachel Griffiths being full on naked in this film and not in uh, the most glamorous way. Yes, yes. And not the most visually satisfying positions. And I just have to say kudos to her for actually being an actual human being in a film and not having to be like a, a woman who's, perfectly posed while she's naked when she's only in her, you know, mid twenties. You know, this is a, a woman who is middle aged and she looks like it. And you know what? That's what people look like. And I love that she had the confidence to do that and that the filmmakers did it in a, in a still pretty tasteful way. Yeah. While at the same time showing uh, what a real human being looks like at, at that age. And I, I really appreciate that because I feel like that's something that, uh, is sorely needed in Hollywood. I completely agree. And uh, everybody needs this movie in their lives. <laughs> so, Nick, uh, I'm assuming this film's pretty high on your list. It is. This was easily, in the for me, my favorite movie of the festival. Yeah? So it's number one out of 19. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, this was... Uh, you know, still kind of far down my list. It was number 12, but I, I still liked it a lot. And uh, again, as I mentioned earlier with uh, Frank and Lola and Pleasure Love, you know, it just means that there were films that I like that much more. It's not really anything against Mammal because it's still, even though we're not giving ratings, this is a three and a half out of five star film for me. So that shows you how much I did like the films that were a little further down on my list. Yeah. All right, so the final film we saw on uh, day two was actually the the first time in the festival, even though I ended up liking a film that we saw previously more after the second viewing, which was The Intervention, uh, the first time at the fest when I I thought I saw something that was truly a a standout film, uh, and that was the horror film Under the Shadow, which uh, was an Iranian film. It's a UK film. Okay, sorry. Nope. It's a so UK you, film, but they, there are Iranian characters, and they're correct. in Iran yes. in the film. So, yeah, it's it is a UK made film, but yeah, it is... no, I'm not trying to be nitpicky. Mm-hmm. Just okay. Well, I just wanted to clarify no, that's that fine. we know the difference mm-hmm. between uh, UK and Iran. Cause... Well, that that is good because they are slightly different places. <laughs> yes, uh, this film follows a uh, a mother who uh, is at home, and she uh, at the beginning of the film. Pretty much, we, we don't really know exactly what the event ha- that happened in terms of detail, but she was going to school to be a doctor, and she has now pretty much been 
expelled and told she's not allowed back in school ever and to go home and, and be a be a housewife forever. And uh, the film starts uh, with high tensions as uh, bombings are happening and her husband, who is a doctor, is sent away to go do his military service for the next month. And we see the actions that happen with her in her apartment building and her daughter, whose name is Dorsa, as they go through this very tumultuous period uh, in Iran's history, which was in, I believe, the late 1980s? I believe so. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's a film that definitely does not have all of its horror elements uh, right out there for you in the beginning part of the film, but they ramp up as the film moves on, and I have to say this is my favorite horror film of all time. Wow. I don't like horror movies. Yeah. And uh, both the horror films that we reviewed last year I thought were either not good at all or just okay. And for some reason, this film just did it for me. And I think a lot a lot to do with it is, I think the film had actually pretty good writing uh, and also had a, a really good narrative structure and story. And I think the setting being where it is in terms of uh, being in a, a, a different country, in a pretty much a war zone, and in a country where... Uh, you know, there's a built-in excuse for why women are pretty much looked down upon. And those themes that go throughout the film, I, I think really what hammered home this film for me and made it work, not just as a horror film, but it's just a film in general. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and you didn't even, you weren't even really looking forward to seeing this no. either. Cause I had picked it and I thought it was going to be a tough sell to like even get you there that night. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the, the, the day before I had only slept for a couple hours. So yeah. It was not a good start, and I already was kind of like debating not going to see this film, but I, I made it through and got my second win later in the day, and I'm so glad I did because this was just a fun film to see. And like a lot of other films at Sundance, this was right up there and maybe towards the top of a film. And I'm so glad we got to see this with a full audience that was so into this film because you know a lot of times you go to the theater to see these kind of smaller foreign independent films, and you are one of the only five people in the theater, and horror and comedies are just meant to be seen in full theaters that are really into the film. And this film was no different as all the little jump scares that popped up that were really well done. I actually thought, uh, unlike other films where jump scares are total cheese. Now, you know, they really worked with the audience and, um, I really just liked this film so much and I was so surprised and maybe that was part of it as I was surprised how much I liked it, but it's just a damn good horror film. Yep, I, I agree for the most part. I This was on my list, so I was half the reason I picked it because I'm not a lover of horror movies, but I think I like them quite a bit more than you typically do. I would agree with that. Yeah, especially this type of horror film. I'm, I'm very, very into psychological horror films where things are happening that kind of, I would say, either symbolically or literally start to like explain the psyche of your central character. Uh, I would say, having said that, this was both a film that I quite, quite enjoyed and really liked a lot. Uh, I don't know that this was, for me, any kind of shining example in this subgenre of horror because I've seen quite a few of these, and like The Babadook is actually very similar to that. I'm not saying exactly how it plays out or uh, or the style, so to speak, but it is very much the, they're both centering around stories about a woman's uh, psyche kind of slowly deteriorating to external pressures uh, um, and whatnot. So it, it was both something that I really enjoyed and liked a lot, and yet also didn't do anything special for me personally, mm -hmm. uh, and, which was kind of surprising because uh, I've made this known to you, Alex, but in case people don't know on the podcast, 
I am very, very into depictions of Iran society in film. I, I love Iranian cinema uh, a lot. And so I was really looking forward to the marriage of both. And I think it succeeded in what it was doing, but mm-hmm. I don't think it really eclipsed a lot of the other depictions. Uh, and maybe that's because, of course, it is also has to be a horror film, too. So I can't get too in-depth. Uh, but I guess I was just looking for a little more something extra. But it, it's like the difference uh, between an A and a B, like, it's just, it it was very good at what it was trying to do, I just don't think it did anything particularly special. Well, I will, I will disagree in terms of doing something special, at least for me, because I think it was just the setting and sort of the characters that are involved here, because I think the marriage between, uh, you know, the, the oppression of women or, or sort of what they're going through in the society, and then with the horror story backdrop, it just really worked well for me, and, and I, I did kind of like the Baba Duke, but I feel like the the environment around the story for here in Under the Shadow is really what made me like this so much more than that film. Yeah, and I guess for me, the the, the thing that I take away from it, and probably why I didn't respond to it as much, is I think this was a film that was more concerned with being scary than it was with being uh, thoroughly dramatic. Uh, hmm. Uh, and I think that's especially true uh, once you get to the second act. And I think it was more interested in those jump scares. And, and I think it does those well because I don't like jump scares. Uh, mm-hmm. But like the way it builds tension is totally fantastic. And the way it releases the tension is great as well. Uh, but I think by the end, it was more concerned in that than it was in all the dramatic underpinnings that it had kind of set up. So that was the only reason why I was missing that extra something. Okay, very good. Well, a film that Nick really wanted to see was a late night film on our second night there was under the shadow and it is number five out of 19 on my list it is number eight on my list so pretty high praise i think for under the shadow so uh after this late night showing we made it back to the hotel at like 2 a.m and then had to get up at 6 a.m for a early screening the next morning of uh the very abstract film called dark night this was one that i think was on both of our lists uh, is a, a film that we were both interested in seeing. And unfortunately, this ended up being quite different than I, I was hoping it was going to be. Um, and this film really doesn't have that much of a plot at all. It just follows these characters who are pretty much playing one stereotype of what society says about people who do shootings. And uh, they're all playing a different stereotype as we follow these characters. And it just was not a very good film. I agree, although I disagree with the classification as abstract. I don't think there's really anything abstract about it. I think hmm. it's more uh, born from the school of like Linklater's uh, minimalism, where we just set the camera down and observe people living and existing, uh, for okay. me. And that's actually why, I, if it was abstract, I could actually read something into it. I, I, I it, hmm. What it was was something that just sat there and never once made use of anything that it had to offer, and... And it's not that I'm not willing to do work in cinema and try to like read into things or anything like that, but you, you got to actually give me a canvas if you're going to give me a paintbrush. It just did not work for me at all. Yeah, and I, I think part of the problem for me is that I was already like trying to stay awake during this, and it was early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that was our earliest movie. That was 8.30 a.m. It was. Which it means was... we had to get up at 6 just to get to the bus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it, it just, um, you know, I wasn't really feeling that well during this film, and the film itself didn't really help it. And 
uh, yeah, it just I just really could not get that into it. So, um, yeah, Dark Knight, not too much more I have to say about it other than I didn't really care for it, and it was number 18 out of 19 on my list. And uh, I think that is also, yes, number 18. Okay. Yeah. So, yes, we both did not like Dark Knight. Yeah. So that's uh, three films that I would say we've given so far that were not necessarily recommendations for us, both at the same time with that. Uh, the Free World, and Trapped. I will say that I would recommend Dark Knight, oh, not because I okay. think people will like it, but this is the kind of movie that I think is so distinctly itself uh, and what it's doing that there is an audience out there for it. I'm just not a part of it, and I never want to be. <laughs> but this will please some people, and I think that's pretty evident because we did hear, or at least I heard a lot of people talking about it and saying that they liked it because of uh, what it was doing. But okay. uh, I think that this is, like, if you like it, you will love it. But if you don't like it, you will probably hate it in some ways. So Yeah, well, I could understand that part, at least. <laughs> So, moving on, uh, that was uh, also our first screening at the Mark, as well. I did yes. not mention the theater. Also, uh, if we want to talk about where we've been seeing all these films, we saw Under the Shadow at the Prospector Square Theater as yep. well. So, uh, we moved to the Eccles Theater for our second screening there after Frank and Lola for the film Spa Night. That's right. Yep. And yep. Uh, this was a American film about a, a Cre- Korean culture. Uh, as it's about a, a young man who um, is really kind of trying to find himself as he uh, is trying to do well and get a high score so he can get into college, as he's trying to retake his SATs uh, throughout the beginning part of the film. His family is undergoing kind of a crisis as they had to sell their restaurant and uh, find new jobs, and he is looking for a, a part-time job, and he ends up taking a job at a uh, a men's-only spa where that sort of starts off our story, really, which gets kind of late into the film, actually, before he even takes the job yeah. at the spa. Yeah. Uh, and this was a film that Nick really, uh, not really wanted to see, but Nick picked out. Uh, it wasn't a film that was really high on his list, just happened to be there in a yeah. premise that he was kind of interested in. This is one we added after yes. we had gone through our 10-ticket package, so to speak. And, um, yeah, uh, I would say that I still did kind of like this film, but uh, the more I've thought about it, the more I just really didn't love what this film was doing. Uh, I thought it was an interesting story, but I, I just really could not get that involved with the film. And I think maybe that's because the main premise of the film doesn't really arrive until about 50 minutes in. And I, I just, you know, I, I, I like some early parts of the film. I actually thought this had the most heartbreaking moment of any of the films we saw, which is, it's, it's such a small moment, but when the family has to sell their restaurant... And the mother is standing outside looking at it, and, and she says the line that she thinks no one will even notice that they were ever here. Like, it, it's just really depressing about your life's work, and then it pretty much being for nothing, and it's that's too bad. But um, the rest of the film, I, I thought, was just okay, and I, I don't know if I'll ever watch this film again. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited for the director because he seemed genuinely interested in making films about cultures living in different cultures and sort of the intermixing of, of what they do, even though this film is primarily about Korean Americans uh, or just Koreans in general. But uh, it's a, it was an interesting premise, but it really just wasn't that much for me. Yeah. I really like this movie. Um, I, I got to say that I kind of disagree with the notion that the premise doesn't start until halfway through because the premise always was uh, this young Korean American trying to find his sense of self and, yeah. and what that means to uh, to his family, to his society, his subculture, you know, and um, it just kind of 
just manifests in different, I would say, chapters in his life. And uh, so that, for that reason, I was always on board from the start to the finish. Um, it's not like it's the best movie I saw off us, but it's, uh, I just think it was so well assured for such a stripped down story. And you don't really usually get this kind of, I would say, resistance to like big moments from first time directors for this kind of story. You know, there was no moment of like the father like disowning his son or something. That's not really a spoiler because actually it ends up becoming more of a like two story movie where it's almost just as much about what his parents are going through with their own problems and his own problems. And those two worlds actually really meet. So we don't get these kind of cliched coming of age stories. uh, And yet it's still, is always conscious of, I, I think, his struggle, which is like his sense of obligation to his parents uh, versus what he actually desires and whether one should be prioritized or, over the other. And for that reason, I, I was a, I would say, big fan, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm very glad we actually en- ended up seeing it. I think it's the kind of movie that in somebody else's hands could have been much, much worse than it was. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I, I didn't, uh, you know, this wasn't one of the films that I would say I, I completely disliked. I thought there were some really good moments of it, as I just mentioned. One of them that I thought was one of the better moments of any film I saw in the festival, and I, the one that really just caught me off guard and made me really sad, actually. Um, and I think this is a very interesting coming-of-age story in terms of that when we look at a culture that lives within another culture, it's really hard to kind of put that together. Like, I feel like if, if this film took place, um, you know, in actually in Korea somewhere, it would have been a lot sort of easier to digest what was happening in terms of seeing what was happening and being completely in what that culture is, where here it is a culture that's within a culture. And, I, you know, I just... Yeah. It's, no, it's interesting. It's hard to talk too about as far as like because you can't get into specifics. Yeah. But I would say that there's nothing in this movie that is even that foreign because <laughs> there are white Anglo-Saxon Americans that have the exact same views on things like homosexuality yeah. and other types that uh, that the Korean parents might have on this. I like, just yeah, I that's just... actually what I loved about it for yeah. just the rant for a second. Uh, it's just that it made this subculture universal and and like we were able to peel back the layers that are normally uh preventing audiences like us from actually investing because we don't get it sometimes because uh if if it's not conveyed well enough but here it was like i you know it doesn't matter what culture they are it's like this is a pretty big thing that unfortunately happens Um, to everybody you know i i think even the director in the q a after talked about how uh, that part of the culture that was much uh, a, a really big thing that he was trying to show in this film was shame and yep. that you know felt very shameful about yep. um, you know sort of things that happen, especially when you're a, a teenager, when you yep. really shouldn't have to feel shame about a lot of things because right. you're a teenager. You don't really know how to how to be an adult yet, um, even if you're think you, you can. Um, but it, it, you know, I, I just thought it was interesting because it's it's one of those things where it's a culture within a culture, and even though we don't get that much about. American culture. This is really interesting to see all this happening in the streets of Los Angeles. So, yeah. well, but it is American culture. I mean, that was kind of the point of his statement: is that this is an American movie. Yeah, just because they speak a different language than English does not mean that this is not. Yeah, but he did mention a lot about Korean culture in the Q and A. Well, I, yeah, right, because that informs like right. decisions. But they are living in, I would say, 
uh, a Korean American culture. Like it, I, I don't know. I hesitate to say culture within a culture because then it almost somehow says, well, there are layers to culture and Americans at the top or something like it. No, I, I don't say Americans at the top, but I, I will say that I feel like when we see Koreans in this film, they are very much in terms of their home life and uh, a lot of where they're working when they're not finding jobs that they need to do, but jobs they want to do. They're very much embracing their, you know, culture from where they came from. They are not, they don't speak English. They don't go out and we don't see them doing things that are considered, you know, American culture. They're very much living in their own culture within a a different country, which I guess is what I was saying with a culture within a culture. I wasn't trying to make it seem like, you know, the American culture is superior to them for some reason. I'm just saying it's a, a culture that it's a, a a small subculture within and in the, the, Cons- in, inside yeah. the physical United States. Right, got it. Good. Well, I'm glad we were on the same page there. <laughs> so, Spotlight was number 16 out of 19 on my list. Not uh, oh. not my favorite film of the of the. Uh, 16 of the out of 19. Yeah. And you liked the movie, so that's quite a festival, then. Yeah, I mean, I I, I enjoyed it, but uh, you know me, I, I don't give the harshest ratings, and I gave this a three out of five. So I just I, it was all right. Yeah, for okay. me, this was number nine. Okay. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you liked it. Thank you. Good. Good. So we move on to uh, back to the Redstone Theater for the first of a very interesting double feature. Yes. Uh, and this was the dramatic version of the of a, of a story. And although the second film was not a, a version of it, it still involved the same uh, character. Uh, and this was the uh, story of Christine, which was about uh, the Sarasota news anchor Christine Chubbuck uh, in the 1970s. And it's really only spans over like i would say like a month and a half in terms of the story yeah. uh as it, it tells her story as she um, goes through living at the news station and very much uh, a person who's trying to move up in the world but struggling because uh, there's a lot of i would say hesitation from the higher ups at the station who want to uh, tell more sort of ratings grabbing stories where she wants to tell more I would say human interest stories Mm -hmm. that she thinks are actual real news. And we see a very interesting relationship in the news world, but also uh, a very interesting film because of the true story of Christine Chubbuck. And um, I I don't know if we want to talk about it, if people know the story. It's real. So go ahead. Oh, just uh, Christine Chubbuck uh, infamously shot herself on air and Mm -hmm. committed suicide uh, in an effort to, not that we can really say why she did it, but presumably as an effort to kind of like, uh, I would say almost sarcastically give the viewers what they want. You know, the if it leads, it bleeds story after being fed up with the state of uh, current world news and reporting. Well, and and another part of this film and, and the reason why I like this film so much is that I feel like did a really good job for me at least um bringing the character to life and i'm sure that meant taking some liberties which is kind of a definitely did because uh, just as far as because we got to see the double feature of a more i would say somewhat more factual based uh we i at least i learned that like some of these characters didn't even exist yeah but you know what that's usually how these things go so i'm not that angry about it or anything i i feel like for me, at least, this film was uh, one of the two absolute standout films of the of the festival. I I loved so many of the technical aspects of this film. I feel like the production design just hit a home run with this film. Uh, the the look of the 1970s from 
everything from the cars to the whole houses and rooms to like small things like ashtrays uh, and the old audio recording software. I just felt like it was so perfectly time period appropriate and it, it works so well. And I just really like the characters and the story of this film. And even if it's partly made up, I, I guess I'm okay with that because I really loved what this story was telling me because even though we had another person who we talked to compare this film to a film like Nightcrawler starring Jake Gyllenhaal, which was about kind of the opposite of someone who was embracing this idea of it bleeds, it leads and, and going with that sort of uh, journalistic agenda. uh, We see Christine in this film really struggle to find herself both at home and work and sort of the differences between what those lives are. And she's just a very, unusual person i'll say that and i think that's the interesting thing too is that she's very mysterious early on the film is that we don't really find out from this film at least why she is so against trying to do things with friends or have friends or 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 anything like that is she's always talking about how she has to get her work done she's very much career you know oriented but at the same time she does not seem to be a really good news person on air. Like she's really good at writing stories and finding out information and investigating. But when you see her like on air, she's just kind of reading the story off paper and not right. giving a lot of pizzazz, but she's you know giving good information. And I think that was the big thing for me is she's someone who just really wanted to inform people about things. And she didn't want to fall to the, uh, you know, whole need to look good on camera and need to be, um, a very pizzazzy type person. She just wanted to give the viewers information. And I think she was living in a world that didn't want that. And it just pretty much destroyed her both on television and also in her personal life. Yeah. I, it's, uh, it's a movie I, I liked and mm. uh, I, I guess I would say quite liked, but I'm also, it's also fading from my memory fast in the sense that I, I need to see it again to even really say a lot of specifics. Mm. Um, it's a movie that I don't know that it's, directorial style was the right match for this particular uh, material it's it's so cold and detached uh and for me that's not the right way to approach this especially because you 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 have to have a reason to tell this story and that's something that i think the the documentary we'll talk about next addresses and i don't know that i ever got that reason from this movie which kind of troubles me a little bit um because it's uh, you know if you're gonna tell this kind of story, which is both uh, a real thing that happened and also a very sensitive thing, mm-hmm. um, and not just a sensitive thing, but it, this movie goes against everything Christine Chubbuck kind of stood for in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the pry into sensationalism uh, and whatnot. Uh, I don't know about the movie for me. I, I ever transcended its purpose for like. Uh, defying those kind of ideals that its own main character holds up to be true. But I also wouldn't characterize the film as insensitive, per se, or offensive. So that's why, for me, it's just stuck in this no-man's land. Of, I, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it. I appreciate certain aspects of it, like Rebecca Hall's performance. And uh, I, I think it's, even if I say that I don't know that Antonio Campos' directing was the right choice for it, it's certainly well done. And it's not like that he's making bad decision. I just don't know that he was the right person to tell this story because he just... There's just something about it where, like, we're observing Christine from afar, and then it's like, then why are we watching the movie at all? Because we could do that via Wikipedia pages. And, you know, uh, I don't know that he ever built up a character 
that separates uh, herself from Christine Chubbuck, the the real person, enough to warrant an entire movie devoted to this fictional version of Christine mm. Chubbuck. So that's how I felt. Okay. Well, I, I as I obviously absolutely love this you film. Did. You, uh, and you called it a masterpiece. I did because still, I I still am yep. right on that train. Yep. I. I loved every single thing this film was doing. I feel like saying it it doesn't have a purpose is I I just cannot co-sign that because I feel like this film well, you ain't getting alone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that, Mr. Lone person. That was very interesting. <laughs> I really liked every single moment of this film. Like I was totally in, engulfed in the story and interested at every single thing that was happening with Christine, whether it's Know, going to the doctor for things, struggling with her personal life. Uh, we just we, we see a lot of her character and sort of the outside effects of, of what's been happening with her. And I guess that doesn't really excuse anything that happens with her, but I, I just feel like it's an interesting story for me because this is a person who obviously had a, a tough time, as Christine did, as Rebecca Hall plays her, I think, actually masterfully, as I think she gives a terrific performance as Christine Chubbuck in this film. And... Uh, I, I'm just interested in the character, and I, I guess that's the, the main thing, is that I'm, I'm interested in a character who tried really hard to just be a person who is doing their job, and a person who is giving information out, but at, at the end of the day, at least in the film, she ends up being a very interesting character, because she has all these different things happening within her life, and uh, how they affect every other part of her life is I just was fascinated by, and that's pretty much the main reason why I absolutely love this film and the technical aspects and a lot of the small little details that happen in this film, especially her very unusual relationship with her co-host, Michael C. Hall, uh, I just thought was fascinating for me and I just ate up every minute of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Understandable. (laughs) (laughs) So I was a big fan of Christine and it was my second favorite film out of the uh, 19 we saw at the Sundance Film Festival. And for me, it was number 10. Okay. So I did enjoy it. Good. Good to hear. So as I mentioned, this was a very interesting double feature as uh, right after the end of this film, we saw Kate Plays Christine, which was a a documentary about uh, Kate Lynn Scheel, I believe is how you say her last name, as she uh, works to play the character of Christine in a a film that it was going to be made. Uh, And this was a film directed by Robert Greene. And I wanted to mention that because he was in the audience and actually him and uh, Antonio Capos actually look very similar to each other, which is quite odd. Yeah. And I luckily snapped a photo with them because I just was really thrown off that not only did we get to see Christine and Kate plays Christine back to back, but we got to be in the same theater with the same director at the same time. And they looked the exact same. We sat in the exact same seats in the same theater. And holy shit. Whoa. Where's the Tylenol? <laughs> um, and yeah, this film, uh, I will say, I, I don't want to say it's my biggest surprise because I liked Under the Shadow a lot more than say, I thought I, I think, was going to. Yeah. But I will say that I, this was a film that we did not plan to see and I thought I was not going to love it. And I actually ended up really enjoying this film because I, I think this is really well done. And I think this is perfectly embodying what Sundance sh- was to me going in, not knowing that much about it, which was films that were trying to do something not necessarily completely different, but doing something that you don't see every day and doing it well at the same time. And I think that's something that Kate Place Christine does really well. And I ate it up pretty much the whole time. 
Yeah. And this was, um, we originally made a list for what movies we wanted to see mm-hmm. before we sat down. On my list was K Plays Christine, and then they hadn't announced every movie yet, and then they announced Christine, and then I was forced with a choice. So I ended up actually, I was the one who had chose Christine mm-hmm. uh, for our list. And then, the, and I was, because I, I decided to only go with one of them, so to speak. And then, like, the minute we got to the festival, I'm like, well, why did I give up another one just because there wasn't, like, you know, I, and I'm so glad we got the opportunity to actually end up seeing both of them because that is for me like the preferred viewing of for first time viewing i think for both of them it's just such an interesting experience this was definitely the movie i preferred out of the two mm-hmm. for the subject and um especially because i eat these kind of documentaries up like the works of uh, abbas kiristami who continually makes uh these movies that question the nature of uh documentaries and and truth versus fiction and and what both says about each other and whether they can coexist and this movie is certainly doing all those sorts of things, uh, and it's doing them so well. Uh, I I do love that this movie kind of scratched the itch that um, Christine, the Antonio Campos film, uh, essentially left me with. You know, uh, I, I my biggest question for Christine was, "Why do you exist?" And then Kate plays Christine comes along and essentially says, "Yeah, why do you exist?" <laughs> Um, and I love that a movie was that challenging as far as both challenging the audience and 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 a central performer uh, as to what it means when we want to see these kind of stories and what obligation do we have, if any, to an audience on the material we deliver hmm. uh, and the blurred lines between the fiction and 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 nonfiction. And so, and yet we also, even if we hadn't seen Christine, the the movie, we still learn about Christine Chubbuck. I mean, it is as much of an investigation into her life, uh, but an investigation that leads nowhere. And I think that's something that Kate plays Christine was conscious of, that Christine, the Campos film, wasn't. Is that at the end of the day, we're not going to get these answers. And so it's this even worth telling. Uh, and I, I love that a movie, that, that the movie had that message because I'm, I'm right on board with that. Yeah, I, I will say that I loved pretty much what Kate plays Christine was doing. And I, I, I guess I'll say that I'm, I'm usually feel like going into like not even experimental films, but films that are not in my comfort zone sometimes are not my favorite films because I ended up not liking them for whatever reason. I feel like I came into this film with a complete open mind. was very excited about film because I loved Christine so much, and I still do. Uh, and I, I really liked this, and I felt like it was a very interesting experience. And I will say, though, um, I, I would recommend to anybody to go watch Christine before watching this film, if only because if you don't have at least some sort of a base on what her, her life was beforehand in terms of actually knowing what her life was, even if it, it's a total narrative-driven film, I think it would be interesting to see the Rebecca Hall Christine film and then go into this one. I guess, although I just want to, I guess, throw out a disclaimer to say that Christine the movie is not very accurate as to it's way more concerned with the fictional version of Christine. So Mm. it's not so much that I don't suggest that you see them together, but do Mm. not have, uh, don't let Christine be your basis of what you know about Christine Chubbuck, uh, because I think both movies, well, I think, I guess, Kate plays Christine, shows that we don't know anything about her. Uh, We know what she did on TV, and we know what people say about her, and neither one of those are valid into actually understanding her. And that's what I loved about this documentary, that I don't think 
the other film quite understood. But uh, like what we saw in Christine is not necessarily like a spot like like depiction of like it's true, but I feel depicting like the events as they happen. If you're someone like me who had absolutely no idea about anything about even the story about what happened with Christine Chubbuck, I feel like at least you have some sort of a base of what you you know something about it. instead of like if if we would have went and saw K Place Christine, even though they do give you some backstory information, I feel like I would have been totally lost. Really? Yeah. Okay. I guess I would just want to caution one more time that like for me as far as like factual whatever like christine is should be taken the same way like when you start a research paper and you read the wikipedia page like you can't necessarily take it at its word but you can certainly gain a under sense of understanding you didn't have prior yeah okay i would i would say that i and christine is obviously taking liberties and it's a a story that you're you're following and uh, it's a film just like a lot of other films that are based on True stories that they they are tweaked with a lot to make a much better narrative. But uh, yeah, again, I I feel like I would not have liked Kate plays Christine nearly as much if we had not seen Christine right before it. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, Kate plays Christine was number six on my list out of nineteen. And for me, it was number seven. Oh, okay. Very yeah. good. Well, I'm surprised it's actually higher on my list, even though I think you liked it more. I was going to say, but that just shows how much I liked the other films yeah. better, higher than what I have. But yeah. Very good. So we moved into the weekend then, as uh, Saturday yeah. started off with uh, another uh, morning showing, not quite as early, with a, a film that I'll say was probably maybe teetering on the most controversial film at the festival. Certainly the most publicized walkouts. Yeah. And that was uh, Swiss Army Man, which starred Paul Dano in, in a quite surprising role, Daniel Radcliffe, even though he's done uh, quite a few things that weren't necessarily films you would think he would do ever since Harry Potter ended. But this was definitely a step in a much different direction than even he's been in before. And uh, this was the sec- film that I wanted to see the second most uh, behind Frank and Lola. And so and it, I, I think it was on my list and not yours. That's correct, yeah, right? Yeah, on my list. No. Yeah. And um, this film was very much different than I was expecting. And I pretty much enjoyed it all the way through. Um, this was a very funny film, which I was not expecting at all. Although after learning about the directors and their previous works, it makes total sense. Um, and I, I think this is a very unique film because it's trying something totally different. And that I think is the message of the film is you have to embrace your differences. And even though the film gets very literal with that towards the end of the film, I'm okay with that because I like what this film is doing. And I feel like that's the whole point of the film is that if you're not willing to be on board with what it's doing, then you're not going to get what this film is. And I pretty much just loved it all the way through. And I, I really enjoyed our theater experience watching it. We saw it with a crowd that, unlike apparently the first crowd, where there were a bunch of people walking out, saw with a crowd that was very much into what this film was doing. Maybe it's because they were prepared for what the film was doing. I was, was going to say, to it helps when you actually know certain things about the film before yeah. you see it. Because I'm just going to say it, and I don't think it's a spoiler, because A, it happens in the first five minutes, and B, it's being wide, widely uh, publicized. Yes, uh, Daniel Radcliffe's dead corpse character is kind of a litany of bodily function jokes <laughs> slash multi-purpose uh, wilderness skills. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, he farts like a jet ski and other various things. And the description absolutely did not hint at that whatsoever, yeah. which I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but mm-hmm. uh, I could see someone sitting down for this and 
having that opening say, fuck you, this is the movie we wanted to make, uh, be a little off-putting, even if I didn't find that element off I think the interesting part about the beginning, too, is that I feel like the first like three or four minutes are very much the film that everyone thought they were going into, which is Paul Dano contemplating suicide and stranded on an island, and we really start off right in the middle of nowhere without knowing anything about him. He's got a beard, uh, and it's you know, seems very much right on board with what this one was going to be. And then it goes in a completely different direction. Um, Yeah. What I'll say, what made me like this film so much, the more I thought, and actually this is a film that I really liked in the theater. And actually, I think I've had the opposite reaction of you is I've actually liked it a little more since we left the theater is that I, I just really like the idea that this film is saying where you're pretty much thinking one way, the entire film where you're thinking logically like a, like a human being would about the situation and the images you're seeing. And this, this film pretty much says if you keep thinking one way, you're never going to break through those, the barriers. And I like that it, it literally has that information later in the film because it's, it's pretty much pushing you somewhere where you don't want to go. And that's what I think I like so much about this film, other than I thought it was actually hilarious through most of the film. And I was, usually wouldn't be on board with something like this, but I was totally into what this film was doing and that it's totally loose. And I feel like I love that the filmmakers had the confidence to make this film and uh, make it and just not hold really anything back throughout the entire film. And I just have to say, I loved it. Yeah. I, this was a movie that as of right now, I'm completely indifferent by Mm -hmm. because it in no way was off putting or in the same way that people who walked out of it are stupid uh and just not accepting of the fact that movies aren't what you want them to be they mm-hmm. are what they are and therefore you can only judge them by that merit uh i will say i, I kind of or actually i say i fully disagree with the idea that if you don't like i can't remember the exact phrasing you used but you said like if you don't get it then you won't like it like i get it i, I get what the movie is doing well, I, uh, I, I don't think i said that necessarily you, but okay you said i know you said something very if not that, then the same. Okay. Well, I mean, I can't remember the phrasing now, but what I'm saying is I was on board with, as far as like, I get it in the sense that we have to look past the potty humor in order to see the pathos, but it still didn't work for me on that level. Um, Well, I I, I guess maybe if I can rephrase to what I I don't even remember saying exactly or saying, but I I guess I said something similar to that. I mean, I I still think people could like it, but I, I guess for me, I the more I've thought about it, the more I've kind of liked what the film was was, was saying at the end, and that it was a very interesting that a film was willing to do that and and not be conventional and sort of think outside the box and challenge people to not just go with what they were originally thinking when going into a film. And I guess that's for me was my biggest disappointment about the film was that I actually found it conventional. Oh, like once okay. you get past the fact that he has boners and he farts and uh it's a very standard uh i would say bromantic comedy uh uh mixed in with kind of survival in this but uh i don't quite understand what happened actually by the end of that movie uh as far as like did he just like take a sailboat around the i I don't know but anyway (laughs) there's there's a lot of geographical coincidences in this movie yeah (laughs) and uh, that's okay because a lot of other things that are way more implausible happen too and so that's why it's not a problem with the movie but um i think that is indication of how i felt that this movie was just too neatly told um i think the style of this movie is fantastic and it's like i want to see what the uh dan the daniels the daniels uh the directing duo make next 
but here I never felt that they were anything more than music video directors making a 100-minute movie because their concept is so cool and it's so well conveyed, uh, you know, from conception to the screen, but they never once for me actually hooked me on a narrative level, so. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I won't say that this is like a great narrative or anything like that. I just really loved what this film was doing and I was engaged for the entire runtime and I really just, well, I'll love seeing it again. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say one other thing which is that because a lot of this is, is mostly a comedy, uh, like the, the the Swiss Army Man, uh, shall we say, joke as far as what can Daniel Radcliffe's corpse do next and in, and in what form, uh, I'll admit this, for the whole running time, that joke never got old. I just never found it particularly funny to begin with. And I, for okay. me, never was on board with this movie as much as I was during the opening credits. Okay. Yeah, that opening scene is just great. Fantastic. I mean. <laughs> it's just I never think like it ever got back up to that height. Huh. So. Okay, very good. Well, where was this ranked on uh, on your list? The <laughs> number fourteen. Oh, out of nineteen. So, Fell yeah. down a little bit from where it started. So, huh? Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is number seven on my list. Hey. Actually, just moved it up even one more from where it Whoa. was. So I, I was a fan of Swiss Army Wait, Man just during the recording of this. I did. So did that technically screw up some of the past answers it moved with one other film that we haven't gotten to yet okay. so, so it, it should, be, should be just fine good just wanted to make sure we're not lying to our audiences not yet <laughs> all right so the next film we saw was uh probably the film that i would say i wasn't necessarily annoyed by but nick kept bringing it up throughout the entire week and I forgot he, that we were here already yeah he actually wouldn't let it go throughout the entire week and that's fine because this is like right in nick's wheelhouse but it is the Polish mermaid stripper movie called The Lure. And Nick, uh, this was a film we added later on. Is it, it wasn't one that we bought while we were there, which we did quite a few films. That's only because I didn't know it was a musical okay. until after our 10 ticket package. And then I said, holy shit, I need this right now. But this was pretty much right up Nick's alley. And um, I'll say that I, I tried to go into this film with an open mind. And I did actually enjoy watching this film, and I would definitely watch it again, even though this really isn't a film that is for me at all. Um, but I, I will say, to this film's credit, this film is very much a, a unique experience in terms of a film, and I just, um, I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, it, it was my favorite film by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I, I think to this film's credit that I, I, I ended up liking it in a film that I probably should have hated. So. Yeah. And Nick, you can have the floor because I know you were way into wanting to see this film, and I believe you were you were satisfied with what this film ended up being. I absolutely was. <laughs> Holy shit! Uh, when you just bring up the the notion of a Polish mermaid musical horror movie, and not horror in the way we just I would say conventionally think of horror, but we forget sometimes that horror doesn't mean jump scares, or whatever, but just that that creepy atmosphere. Uh, and a lot of body horror, I think, in this movie. Uh, when you when you just tell me that there's a movie out there that exists and has all these things, like I, I'm a little biased because I'll start to throw logic and reason out the window because we don't get enough of this. We don't get any of it, really, because I've never seen a movie quite like The Lure. And what that means is, for me at least, nothing in this movie is... <laughs> perfect by any stretch of the imagination whether it's the performances or even the songs themselves or whatever although i will say probably the one standout element for this for me at least was the marriage of the cinematography and the sound design like just the way uh the 
director, how she created this atmosphere was fantastic. Uh, uh, like, but none of the other elements are stand out. It's just they all stand out because they all coexist together, and they never, I would say, once interrupt the other. Uh, it, it, it. I mean, I was on board from the opening scene when uh, we have the two uh, mermaids uh, appear out of the water as they are spying on this fam- family of musicians who work in an 80s disco club, which, fuck yeah. Uh, <laughs> and when they start singing this very slow song of, like, we won't eat you, which is kind of cute and kind of funny, I'm like, <laughs> in my head... I was like, oh shit, what have I done? Because I was even like starting to doubt as the movie, whatever. And then as the two males are walking towards her, all of a sudden it is the action is completely interrupted by, uh, by the mother uh, of the family screaming her head off and then just smash cut to the title card as the disco song is playing. Like, comp- as if this movie is saying, yeah, this isn't that kind of movie. This is the batshit movie you thought it was. Ha ha. You're welcome, Nick Cheney. <laughs> so I, I was totally on board for the entire movie, and I, I also think that it's has some interesting things to say. Even if I don't think it says it well, I just like the fact that I think you can very easily read uh, things like transphobia into some of the narratives, especially concerning the the, the one mermaid named Silver, uh, who falls in love with a human who doesn't really want her in any form. You know, like he mm-hmm. says, he would be happier if she we're not a mermaid and yet he also clearly still has prejudiced views uh, you know and I, I just love that the film even like acknowledged that uh, this is not a movie where you would want to go into it looking for a transphobic like statement as far as like well this is going to be a good advocacy for it but just the fact that the film is self-conscious of the way human beings have these kind of prejudices is great I thought I also thought it was very interesting that there were actually like really um, surprising small little mentions of the little mermaid in this film. Like there was definitely like an Ursula stand in that happens in one scene. There's the, the idea that if she wants to become a a, a human, she has to lose her voice and that kind of thing, which is taken directly from that story. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I think it all comes back down to just your basic mermaid folklore Mm -hmm. and whatnot. So it was surprising to see it play so literally because we're we're not in a cartoon, so we don't have this safe space of like not having to fully believe in it because it already looks inimaginable. Uh, but uh, yeah, and I, I got to give a shout out to is even if the songs aren't, I would say, fantastic or anything like that. There is one sequence in it, and it's the supermarket uh, uh, song where the the two girls and are going on the shopping spree, which I thought was just so well choreographed. I mean, it has people on escalators going in different directions yeah. and as they're just zooming through the whole thing. And I, I thought, even if I don't know that any song quite matched that energy, uh, that was just a great indication of like, I, no other film is going to do this. And thank God it did. And I, I really like that scene. And also the, uh, the scene in the club when they have like the rock scene and the, all the people have pretty much gathered around them and it's a slow motion at the very end of it. And I just love that I wanted to mention too that we saw this film at the uh, the Temple Theater and the uh, Swiss Army Man film at the Mark Theater yes. uh, as well. But yeah, the lore. Um, I and I, I think it's 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 kind of weird. But the, I think the craziest thing about this for me is this was a very unusual circumstance where we actually ended up sitting directly behind the two girls who were the stars of the film which was a very unusual experience because they pretty much were like whispering and cackling to each other the entire film while you're watching them on screen as these, these mermaid strippers. So they are 
naked in the film, and here they are sitting right in front of you in a movie theater, and it was just a very, um, a very unusual experience, and I thought it was actually pretty cool because it was just so weird to have that context of the the actors who are actually on the screen sitting right in front of you while you are watching the same film. Yeah, and that probably added to my enjoyment of watching it because <laughs> besides the fact that I was on board with this movie for everything I wanted to do, uh, I'm also continually looking out of the side of my eye to see that the the two uh, the two main actresses are not only like giggling at every joke and whatever, but like whispering to each other as if like they've never seen this movie before. And just that infection of like how much they loved doing this apparently, uh, married with my infection of watching this movie was just a wonderful experience that I'll never have again. Yeah. So I, I just like the scene, Christine and Kate plays Christine back to back in the theaters, having this opportunity to watch the lore in a, any movie theater, but in, this movie theater, especially with the two girls who are playing the mermaids sitting right in front of you, uh, was a very uh, once-in-a-lifetime experience, and I was on board with it. Uh, These are the kind of moments that like make Sundance what it is, and not just watching movies over and over. It, mm-hmm. it is an experience uh, through every facet of its being. I totally agree with that, especially now after we attended for uh, this first time. So yeah, the lore, uh, even though I liked it, uh, still uh, number 14 on my list, though. And I will uh, definitely give it another chance as I'd like to watch it again. And uh, I'm happy because this is definitely a film that I thought I was going to like the least out of all the films we saw. And it ends up uh, being one of the films that I enjoyed still. Yeah, and for me, this is number five. Because I absolutely loved it. I just also can acknowledge that there are a lot of better movies than it, uh, but there's nothing like this one. For sure. Yeah, and it was definitely interesting to to go back-to-back with Swiss Army Man and this, because I, I will say that even though uh, Swiss Army Man's story is definitely a lot more conventional, these are two films that are, are definitely trying something a little different. So Yes. <laughs> the fact that there are only conversations, for the most part, about Swiss Army Man's uniqueness, uh, and this seems to be kind of not completely... Uh, you know, shut out. Uh, it just kind of baffles my mind because I, for me at least, there were things in this movie that I was constantly being surprised at in a way that I wasn't by Swiss Army Man. Yeah, but uh, see that. but both those are kind of examples of why I love going to this festival and just kind of like, oh, movies can do this now. <laughs> that kind of exhilaration. Yeah, I, w- I was uh, I was a fan of of the lore. So we moved on back to Eccles for uh, another screening of, of a film. Uh, actually the film that Nick most wanted to see at the festival, and that is Whit Stillman's Love and Friendship. And since you wanted to see it so much, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about this film? Yes, so this is Whit Stillman's fifth film in, like, oh boy, to over 25 years. So he does not make a lot of films, and mm-hmm. that's a shame. But if they're this good each time, I'm okay with it, because this was him finally uh, adapting a Jane Austen uh, property, although also in pure Whit Stillman uh, fashion, he kind of chooses one of the most obscure ones because it's uh, Lady Susan, the uh, epistolary novel novella that she wrote that was unpublished, actually, and it's only been released to public record, I think, posthumously. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's very, very straightforward plot. It's just Kate Beckinsale plays the Lady Susan Vernon character, who essentially is the most manipulative person on Earth, as she uh, is recently widowed and uh, has uh, become poor and outside of her social class that she's used to, as she tries to navigate... Uh, potential suitors for her and her daughter and manipulating anybody in her way. 
And uh, the reason why it's, uh, in case for those who don't know, with Stillman, why it's such a perfect marriage of material is that from his very first film, Metropolitan, uh, he's made characters that were always, at least in that movie especially, were are infatuated with Jane Austen and that time period. So it's just kind of great that after he kind of honed his craft as a director, he is finally able to make this movie. And it lived up to my expectations. <laughs> I thought, for me, like you said about the intervention, this was my funniest movie. Of, I think there was a moment when I was laughing <laughs> at a scene, even after the scene had ended, and you looked over me, and I couldn't stop laughing because I was just so happy to have a Whit Stillman movie. I will say, uh, I, I had never seen a Whit Stillman film before this, so I really had no baseline for what to expect. Um, and... Even though it wasn't the most well-drawn-out character at all, and it was really a, a lot of times was there just for comic relief, and that's totally fine, I, I do think this film had the best character of the entire festival for me because th this film, I feel like, got a little stale at a couple points early on because there really was not too much. It was a, a lot of dry humor, which I, I know what Stillman does, and I kind of expected that going in, but still, this film had a couple points that I thought were a little plodding early on. But I, I don't remember what his character's name. And I, I Sir James Marston. Sir, is that what his name yes. is? Sir James Marston? Yep. When he shows up, um, he just steals the show for this film because he is hilarious throughout because he's just a, a bumbling idiot for the most part. Yeah. And it's it's so weird to see a bumbling idiot tastefully done in a yes. film. And uh, I just absolutely loved it. And the great thing is, too, is that it wasn't oversaturated. He showed up at a few different times and he stole the scene in every one of those scenes. And it was just great. It left you wanting more in a great way because it's like every time he showed up, you were never sick of him yet. So you were so glad, but then he would leave before it would get old. Yeah. Um, and it, of course it was played by Tom Bennett. And that was definitely, I think if, you know, like the best supporting character I've seen in a movie, because he only, besides the fact that he stole the show, he only, I think, infected the other characters uh, to deliver their dialogue uh, well as well. And, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty quick film. I was actually, it was the first film of the festival that uh, when it ended, I was not expecting it to end. Because oh, okay. I, it was the first film that I had, like, just like, whoa, it's already over? Like, because I was just so into it and, you know, for obvious reasons. Yeah, I, this was not one of necessarily those for me, even though I didn't feel long or anything like that. Uh, there was one other film that we saw later on in the festival, which we'll talk about uh, in a, a little bit, that I definitely felt I was like, holy shit, this is over already? Like, yep. I couldn't even believe it. But, yep. yeah, I could totally see why you would think that, because this film does move nicely through and keeps moving at, all, at pretty much every point, especially after the first, I would say, like 20 minutes, where I feel like there are so many characters getting introduced that it, it it's really hard to follow early on. But like a lot of other great books where you just need to find out information so you can find out what the story is later on in the in the film or in the in the story in the I book. Yeah, I think it's intimidating at first when he's literally playing around with character title cards and he's having them all appear in very rapid succession because I think what's actually important is what we're used to, which is we're trying to figure out their names when really we should just be looking at their faces and their facial because that tells you way more about them than you need to know, you know, uh, by just learning their names. Uh, mm -hmm. So I just can't wait to rewatch that sequence even and just see the, like, Sir James Marsden, like, creepy eyes behind Federica and, you know, just that kind of stuff, which I think is going to be even funnier the second time around, so. I would agree with that. Yeah, I I really, I was pleasantly surprised from this film, because not that I didn't think I was going to like it, but I, I thought I would um, not really be sure about how I like this film, but I, I thought it was funny, genuinely funny, uh, and I really do like the time period, and 
I really did like the character of Lady Susan because I feel like even as the audience, we don't really know exactly what her motives are at every turn, and I think that's great. Yeah. Well, for me, this was uh, on my final list. This ended up being number four, and I just want to say that this is not my favorite Witt Stillman film, but this might be his best film since his first film, hmm. uh, Metropolitan. Very high praise. Uh, I actually was also a fan, and even though it's uh, you know further down on my list, it was number 11, so uh, a big fan of Witt Stillman's Love and Friendship. So we move back to Redstone then for the final film of the night, and I think it's a film we don't need to spend too much no. time on, which was uh, Rachel Wise, I always forget how to pronounce her last name, and Michael Shannon's film, Complete Unknown. And boy, I have to tell you, this was the big loser of the festival for me. Not necessarily because even though I, I, I did rank it as my least favorite film of the festival, not that it was the worst film that we saw, even though, again, as I just said, however... I was at least expecting this film to have some level of being a, a decent film, and it was in no way, shape, or form that for me, as I was just bored and um, just not interested the entire time. I completely agree. It's uh, not my least favorite movie but of the fest, but it is right down there. And uh, for me, what makes it such a dull experience is, is that, A, I think the two leads were miscast. I don't think Michael Shannon or Rachel Wise should have played either of these characters. And uh, B, I thought the script, uh, that was the other big thing, uh, is a premise in search of a purpose because it's an interesting concept that never once becomes anything but an interesting concept. <laughs> So I would agree. And I think it's funny because I think we talked about on, on the last day of the festival, we like spent 10 minutes, which is way more than we spent actually talking about the film, talk about who would actually be a better yeah. cast in the film. And I think yeah. we came up with a pretty good idea that uh, Mark Ruffalo and Kate Winslet should have starred in this film. <laughs> yep. And so Joshua Marston, uh, if you're listening, uh, that's what you should have did. That's yep. the director of Complete Unknown. And also why? Yeah. So, so that was, and the worst part about it is that that almost could have been our final film of the festival because yeah. everything after the, that film was up in the air as to whether we would get tickets to anything. And right. so that was our last planned movie. It was. And that would have been a horrible note to end on. It absolutely would have been as it was just um, slow and I was falling asleep. I was like struggling to not actually like fall on fall asleep in the theater during this film. And even though I thought actually there was a dinner party scene early on that I thought could have led this film in a different direction that was a lot better, the last 35 minutes or so for this film were, like, honestly awful. Yeah. And I could not stay interested. There was this this crap about frogs and, and that kind of thing. I, I don't think so. 19 out of 19 for me. I was not a fan of Complete Unknown. It was number 17 out of 19 for me because of that aforementioned aforementioned uh, kind of early scenes that I like better than I liked anything in both The Free World and Dark Knight. Yeah. <laughs> but it was awful. So we get to uh, the final day, which we go to the box office, and we, we get tickets, uh, and we don't really even know what films are going to be there. Obviously, we both wanted to see a couple films, uh, one being uh, the film that involves street magician, a street magician, which was called Slight, and the film which was the best-reviewed film of the entire festival, which was Manchester by the Sea. And unfortunately, neither of those were playing on the final day. Because and they only replay competition films. That is correct. Should have like been something <laughs> one of us would have figured out beforehand. Nope. But nope, never crossed our minds. Sure didn't. Uh, just kind of ended up there, and they really only played films that won awards. Yep. 
Uh, so we got to the final day and uh, we kind of went back and forth about what we were going to end up seeing. And we end up with, with four good films, one of which was a, a, a redo, which yep. was The Intervention. Uh, in addition, we also saw uh, later in the film uh, the winner of the next award, which was First Girl I Loved. And then the uh, Audience Award Dramatic Winner, which was the film that I would say was the biggest film of the festival audience award and grand jury prize award and also was the largest film ever bought at the sundance film festival which was birth of the nation uh but the first film we saw of the day was the winner of the um foreign dramatic competition which was the israeli film sandstorm uh and nick since you really wanted to see this and you led us towards it and i think you like this even more than i did why don't you tell the audience what sandstorm was about sandstorm is an israeli film that is concerned with i think three generations of women who are essentially trying to look out for each other in the face of this very patriarchal society uh to put it very broadly uh there is certainly a lot of like very smaller plot details as far as like potential suitors and um uh, adhering to the the rules of this society, but really this is the character piece that is electrically charged by the plot movements that are happening, and I absolutely loved it. I, I can totally understand why this won the World Cinema uh, Jury Prize uh, for dramatic competition, and I thought it was fantastic. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Middle East cinema, and especially the depictions of culture therein, and this was certainly one of the best uh, of that of that cloth yeah i i would agree that i i really didn't have any kind of baseline for what this film is going to be um going in um i just was expecting this to be a good film because it had won the world dramatic prize and it ended up being a really good film i i, I was my favorite at all but i i really liked what this film is doing and I, I thought just um just based on pretty much everything that i've known about this kind of society before this really brought you into question even more what you were watching in, in sort of what, 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 what really is happening here? Like, is, is this just people who are just following what they know or is this people who are doing what they actually want to do? Um, and, and who has the power here and, and do they really even have the power if they have it? I think that's something that this film really brings into question. And, uh, it, it just, just like a lot of other films at the Sundance film festival is it, it, doesn't get obsessed with telling too much of a story. This was a you know hour and a half film that I told the story I wanted to tell and then it was over. And I, I, I really love that because I think this film got its message across without trying to stretch out this long, elongated film that had people walking through deserts and that kind of thing. And uh, I, I really enjoyed this and I'm, I'm glad we saw it. I agree, and I also really quickly want to say that since I have seen quite a lot of films uh, of depiction in this region, that I love the way it actually humanized its biggest proponent uh, in the patriarchal system because it, as much as it's about women, there is one very uh, important male character in this movie, and I just loved how it didn't really paint him out to be a villain. If anything, it painted him out to be just almost as much... Uh, a victim of this system and society mm-hmm. uh, because he's really kind of outdone by his own insecurities of his placement in this system. So I, I absolutely love that part of it. So for me, this was uh, number three Ooh. out of 19. And nice. alongside Mammal, it's the one that I'm like most looking forward to rewatching and possibly having another discussion about, like actually mm. in depth. Maybe that's a spoiler for down the road if this ever ends up on, <laughs> on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, Sandstorm was number eight on my list out of 19. I, I was a big fan, and uh, I think it just shows how much I really enjoyed the films above it, yeah. as it's still not anything to say against Sandstorm. It's, it's a fantastic film. So after our second viewing of The Intervention, which uh, took place, uh, I guess I'll mention that Sandstorm was at Eccles, yep. uh, then The Intervention was at Prospector, uh, then the next film we saw, First Girl I Love, was at Prospector, and I, I will say this was my biggest surprise of the entire um, festival, for, for, for me at least. Um, I, not that, well, I guess maybe not as much as <laughs> Under the Shadow, because I, I you know kind of was expecting to hate it. But I really didn't know anything about this film other than a couple of things I'd heard from people who were talking during the festival. But man, this was just such a good film, and it it just kept me involved the entire time. And this film was an hour and forty minutes long, and it felt like it was like a half an hour for me. Like it from start to finish, I was completely into what this film was doing. I felt like it had a good opening, a good middle, and a good ending, and I just I just absolutely loved it. I completely agree. I, uh, this was, I had heard a lot of, uh, kind of, I would say subdued buzz because I don't think a lot of people were seeing this movie, but mm-hmm. all the people I knew that did see this movie loved it. So I was starting to get more and more like angsty about like, you know, wanting to see it. And then I'm so glad we got this opportunity because I thought this was fantastic. And I, Absolutely. I think on Twitter, so I'm going to repeat myself that I, I, I called this. <laughs> no, I, I, it's just, well, I had a great. Uh, I did. One, one person had a great uh, comment about this on Twitter, so I will quote myself here. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, but I called this a stunning ode to what it feels like to be a teenager, which is to be constantly faced with decisions you're not equipped to make. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that that was a, a current that ran through all three of the main three, because it really, even if uh, I think Anne the female protagonist is kind of the center of the story. Mm-hmm. I really think it actually almost stealthily divides its uh, dramatic heft ac- across the board of its three teenage characters. And I, I, I was that kind of floored me because it just snuck up on me once I realized that we were watching uh, a, a much more, I would say, diverse, uh, diversified story about the different teenagers and their place in the world. Yeah, and I just, I just really can't really find something that I really disliked about this film. I think on a, on a rewatch, this could be a five out of five for me just because I really liked almost every single thing this film was doing. And I, I just loved the way it told its story and the, in the images, like the, the look of a baseball field at night with the lights and, and the, you know, kids playing softball and the, it just, it just captured, I think everything. And even though these are kids that are in 2016 and I haven't been in high school since 2005, it, it felt like it, yeah, old fucker right here. Holy shit. Getting almost to 30. Um, but this film was just doing all kinds of things for me in a, in a great way. And also, I feel like really doing a good job of showing kids at, at this time, at least kind of realistically, like showing them texting and you can see what they're looking at and their reactions to their text as you're reading what they're, um, at, what they're typing and what they're, what they're reading at the same time. And it, it was just a really well done film on a lot of levels. I have not ever seen a film that I would say emotionally and accurately captures what it's like. Because uh, I'm a little younger than you, uh, but the way technology allows us to reach out to others and mm-hmm. yet 
also is like the scariest thing ever as far as like the conversation one of the scenes early on in the movie when uh, the two central female protagonists as they get to know each other uh, they have a whole entire conversation over texting and that scene I, I've had that conversation before where like I, you keep putting one more toe in the water uh, so to speak and uh-huh. that escalation of intensity just completely floored me because I had not seen a movie completely just accurately capture teenagers. That's so hard to do, and yet uh, a lot of people try it, and a lot of and people fail. Yes, <laughs> yes, and this absolutely doesn't. So I, yeah, I was floored, and I was as well. And I was completely caught off guard by how good this film was. And I, I guess I had an expectation it was going to be decent after her, her, uh, learning it had won the award, but this film just totally just uh, was just great. And two, I feel like the finale for this film is completely different than I thought it was going to be, but I think it, it sort of had a perfect finish for what this film should have been. And it, it just really hammered home what this film was doing. And also, moving forward from being a teenager into pushing towards becoming an adult. And, and I, I loved it. And the best part of, I think, this movie, before we get into our rankings, is that neither of us have actually said what makes this movie great. Uh, as far as it does not, it, it I would say, organically becomes a different movie about halfway through, yeah. but completely realistically and, and essentially you realize, oh, this is the story we were watching all along, and it becomes all the better for it. Yeah, and, and that equals, um, I mean... Uh, a, a early contender for best scene of the year happens late in this film. Yes, and I know which scene you're talking yep. about. Yep. So that's how good the movie is. Yes, absolutely. So uh, it was a fantastic film, and it is number three out of 19 on my list. And it is number two on mine. And I totally see that. one. Yeah. On a, it could easily be number two on my list, or even maybe even down the road number one. We'll see. Yeah. So we've uh, reached the final film of our... Uh, of our trip to Sundance, and it, it, it took place at the Eccles Theater, the last screening they had of the entire festival. Won the two top awards for U.S. cinema. It did, and it was my favorite film we saw at the entire series, and that was the film The Birth of a Nation. Um, just for anyone who doesn't know, this was the uh, this was the story of Nat Turner uh, in the you know early 1800s as he's uh, sort of leading. Uh, the, the the charge of of trying to have an, a, an uprising amongst the slaves as they are pretty much just living in a complete environment where they just do what they are told and there is not even really a thought of of trying to fight back against uh, the the white man uh, at, at this time and this, this story uh, starts off and I was kind of thinking I wasn't going to like it just because of all the over the top praise and the fact that this um, was the highest anyone's ever paid for a film by seven million dollars as it was a 17 million dollar purchase by fox searchlight and i i just you know what i will say this uh, out of all the films we saw i can see in someone like me saying that they absolutely love this film and someone saying that they absolutely despise this film and i don't think either of them can be wrong and i will say that because i feel like so much is left open for interpretation from this film that you can think one thing about it and it can completely click for you like it did with me. And you could think one thing about certain aspects of this film in a different way. And it could be the worst pile of garbage you've ever seen. And I think that actually makes this not as good of a film as I thought it was, even though I'm still giving it a five out of five and saying, I absolutely loved it because I think that is something that, takes away from this film because there is so much room for you to kind of move throughout in terms of how you feel about it is I think a a better done film would have 
been a lot tighter in terms of how people should feel about it. I will say though, I absolutely loved everything this film was doing and that it's already close to being, you know, towards the higher half of my top 50 favorite films of all time. That's how much I loved what this film was. That is big praise. Yeah. And to combat that, <laughs> I have to say that this movie did not work for me. I, yeah. I'm not on that end of the spectrum that you described as, to, uh, you know, absolutely despising. Uh, but I certainly did not get anything out of this movie. I thought it did not do anything with the uh, the tropes, so to speak, of the slavery subgenre of cinema. Um, I, I think it is a film that is not as self-conscious about uh, about slavery as a psychological mindset as some of some other stunners that we have gotten, like uh, McQueen's Twelve Years a Slave, to pick a recent one. Uh, and I'm a little concerned about the implications of why tell this story. Uh, not because I necessarily think that the director, Nate Parker, has a, a sinister message to tell, but I, I feel like he's kind of oblivious to what this kind of story means in the context of today. And I know it took him a long time to make, so it's not, not like he could plan when it came out, so to speak. Yeah. But I do know that from what we understood from the Q&A, that from his own words was saying that he thinks this is a timely movie and that this is an important movie for this time and I think it is only in the sense that it's about race and race is certainly a thing that is very tumultuous right now as far as racial tensions between black and white um but I don't know that I ever, for me, this felt like a first-time director making a film that nobody should attempt to make until they made at least three or four films. Uh, and for that reason alone, I just could not connect with it. I, I didn't think it did anything uh, new with this, unfortunately, cliched-ridden subgenre. I mean, when you have or- orchestral strings underneath uh uh, uh, an African-American slave, you know, after a, a, a whipping or something to show that he is empowered, even though he was, you know, I, I'm not saying that can't be a powerful image, but it's a powerful image I've seen many times before by much better actors in a much better movie. So okay. this was the subpar version of every slave movie I've ever seen. Okay. Yeah, I just totally 100% was on board with what this film is doing. Everything from the music, which I thought was fantastic, to uh, sort of the way the characters move throughout the film. And I, I think the the thing for me that, that just really put this film over the top was the very, I won't even say controversial, but the very unusual use of religion in this film, which I think is extremely open to interpretation of what this message of this film is trying to say. And then that's a part of it that I just really liked. Yeah. I, I'd say that I love depictions of religious turmoil in cinema. So I should have really liked this, <laughs> uh, but I feel like what you're responding to as open to open to interpretation for me was uh, something that was less open to interpretation and more just had no idea how to actually hone in on a, uh, actual thematic focus. I think this movie says a million different things at once and doesn't realize that half of those million things contradict the other uh, half million things and, and that they don't work together well. Uh, okay. Uh, what's the name? Nat Turner? Yeah. Yeah, Nat Turner's ideology is fascinating as a case study, but it neither for me made sense as a form of entertainment or as a... Uh, 
as a call to empowerment. Well, this is a film that, and this is an episode where we're just trying to describe what our feelings were on the film. Um, this is like, you've talked about a couple films that you'd like to, um, this is a film that I'm already going to put out there that we're going to do an episode on eventually oh. down the road. And if you guys don't want to do it, I'll do an episode by myself on it because that's how much I really do. Now want I kind of don't want to do it just to hear that. Yeah, whatever. Well, hello, Tuzalton. Oh, hi, Nick. Even I, I think you you at least can kind of see why people would like this film in, I, in some way. Yeah, I think it's spoon fed slavery. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's in, yeah, okay. Put that's, that in the intro. Yeah, I guess so. Wow, that was um, something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got, I got, that's fine. If that's the way you feel about it, that's it uh, yeah. We'll have to see this again down the road and do an episode on it. I can't believe I just used that term. Yeah, you did. Spoon but I'm standing by I, it. I, that's can, how I feel. That's fine. You can stand by it, and I will. I will um, disagree with what you're and and I, at least you do know because I'm I'm trying not to say too much about this film. Uh, in, in kind of the entirety of what, what it was, because no one else has really seen it other than the people at Sundance. But, um, yeah, I've got a lot of reasons to why I like this film so much, and I can't wait to, you know, down the road have a chance to really put all those out on the floor of why I really liked it so much. So I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. You've heard it already. Come on. You know why I liked it so much. <laughs> well, I mean, at least after a second viewing where you can, I think, even clarify even probably. more. Yeah, yeah, probably. I would agree with that. Yeah. So yeah, The Birth of the Nation was uh, my number one out of 19 at the uh, Sundance Film Festival. And for me, it was number 16 Okay, number 19. Yeah, so. I think uh, we'll Didn't have a... I hate it. It uh -huh. just never, never worked for me. Okay, very good. Well, that was our trip to, to Sundance. Uh, 20 viewings, 19 films, and uh, we went through all of them here in uh, this bonus episode on the Sundance Film Festival. Quickly, before we call it quits, uh, we wanted to get to... A couple things that popped up throughout the festival, whether it be... The uh, best questions. Yes, <laughs> questions did. people asked at the Q&As or uh, other people in the theater. Uh, not going to get too in-depth with, with them, but... I think they speak for themselves. Yeah, I, I would say that. Um, and uh, what, the one I'll start off with was the first film we saw, actually, was The Intervention. Uh, and this woman, in, in a film that, although, yeah, there obviously is a plot and a, a narrative and a, a dramatic story... There's a, a woman who asked this lingering question that went on, like she kept asking and talking about it, like after it was, her turn was over. So she should have like honestly stopped talking. She kept asking the the director and the, the cast, because again, six of the you know actors were up on stage. Why didn't you tell us more? I, I, I want to know more about the story. And, and I feel like specifically you the backstory of like the couple that they're trying to intervene. Right. Yes. And she's like, why, did, why couldn't we find out more? And, and the director, Clay Duvall, basically says, you know, oh, well, you know, we want the audience to, to find that out. And we, we, we basically didn't want to tell you more than what happened on, on the screen. And yeah, and she gave, she, the, this lady keeps doubling down. She keeps asking about yeah. it. And eventually Clay Duvall is just like feeling, I think, really like like awkward. And yeah. she's like, well, I'll email you all my notes if yeah. you want. And then everyone starts laughing. And she brings it up again. She's yeah. just like, oh, well, I, I just feel like we need to know. And eventually someone had to be like, you know, we, we need to move on to another question because yeah. this is out of hand. Not just to mention that, but also Claire Duvall gave two very equally concise and I thought great answers, which were the two things, which was A, that doesn't matter what reason she gives because it's never one thing mm -hmm. that actually leads to a marriage dis possible dissolution. It's always a buildup of events. So, it you know, it would take forever to recount those yeah. events if we're only trying to snapshot this moment. 
and, and not only that, but then she says she never wanted the audience to have more information than what the characters are actually talking about on that weekend. And mm-hmm. I thought that that actually makes perfect sense. Yeah. So uh, should I bring up another question? Yeah. Uh, that same day, we had my favorite worst question, which was during Pleasure Love after that movie had ended. It is, I, I guess I want to give a little context, it is a hundred minutes long. So it wasn't, you know, a slog, I would say. Obviously, if you thought it was slow, that's a different thing, but it didn't go on uh, past its point of no return. Somebody actually uh, stood up. <laughs> and I also want to point out, too, that the director uh, does not speak English, so there was a translator with him. And I think, unfortunately, that adds another layer of condescension uh, to this question when a woman actually uh, stood up, uh, completely oblivious to the fact that not only is this movie finished, but it has also already been released several times over in its home country. It is just being premiered in the U.S. And a woman stood up and said, are you going to make it shorter? Because that went on too long. <laughs> people, so, people in America suck. Yeah, man. they do. They I are do. terrible. And this, is, this is why people hate us. Well, at that very same screening, there was a, a woman sitting behind us. Oh, and, yeah. And I mean, I won't say too much about her because she just was sitting there talking with the gentleman, which people do. They and to talk be fair, the they films. were having a private conversation as far as yeah. the, this wasn't a public forum, right? Like the bad Q and A question. That's true. But yes, however, they were sitting right behind us, and it's hard <laughs> not to hear what they were talking about, right? And I, I, it's not really about the fact that she spoiled a film because you're at the festival and people are going to talk about the films that they're seeing. So. I went into this thinking, if I hear anything about the films, it's going to be what it's going to be, and I'll see the film, and it'll be fine. However, she prefaces this to this other guy she's talking with by saying, oh, well, you know, I didn't really like Dark Knight, um, and, you know, the ending happens, and, you know, I don't want to spoil it for you. And then five seconds later, she tells him everything about the ending of the film, and I, I was just so angry because... If you're going to say it, then just say it. Don't say, I'm not going to tell you about it. And then, like, the next breath, oh, by the way, here's exactly what happened in the end of this film. What the fuck is that? Yeah, the worst part about that moment <laughs> is that we should have listened to her. Because well. <laughs> it ended up being that I could understand why somebody would give that information. And I, I, I agree, but you can't <laughs> but you yeah. can't say, I don't want to spoil it. And then, yeah. literally, in your next breath, yeah. spoil everything about it. So, yeah. so uh, also, uh, the first day, I think really all the worst questions the came the first day. But after we had saw the movie Holy Hell, uh, which of course deals with the cult, and we had the entire cast of the movie, which is essentially eight or so members that left the cult. And that really got the only true standing ovation we had the entire festival, because I I think more than anything, people were just like in awe that all these people who they just saw and, and, and saw from you know twenty years before until now yep. were just standing right there in the flesh in yes. front of them. So we're already entering dicey territory, which is any questions you have about the movie, you essentially are putting the eight people on trial because you're asking them about the content of the film, which is the content of their life, and even if I understand the impulse, I don't understand the actual. Uh, uh, follow through of somebody standing up and uh well i think it's twofold because i'm going to yeah. ask one question or tell them and you can tell about the other one but one of them was noting on the fact that this cult still exists and you know um, that's unfortunate and and she basically stood up to essentially point pitchforks at them because she's like well did you you guys just left them there and they perfectly i think explained that you don't just leave people behind you cannot literally take them from it because they were once like that too and there was no reasoning with them and it's a sad state of affairs but there is nothing short of uh 
extreme measure that they can take. Well, it, then, and also you know. too, it's like people who are alcoholics or drug addicts. Like you can't just force right. them to stop. Like they need to want to. Right. And so then the woman got to her wind up and in, in her pitch, and she just said, "Well, I." And she literally said to them and to the room, "Well, I, I think you, we. I mean, we need to kidnap these people because it's wrong." <laughs> and then, luckily, one of the cult members pointed out the obvious and goes, uh, "Well, that would be wrong too, and not only illegal. So we are not endorsing that." And, I just love that you said, "Oh," and then one of the cult members. <laughs> <laughs> well, just trying to be clear and concise. Yeah. But yes, uh, and so I, that was very awkward. It yeah. was. And uh, why don't you tell us about the other stupid question? Well, the, and, and the first question that, that came up, and this was like right after the family film, so. So all of the people are up in, in front of the screen and they, they get the only true standing ovation we had while we were at the festival. People, you know, giving them an applause. I think more for the people than for the film. So then that ends. And the first question right out of the gate, this woman stands up and just goes, well, don't you think that, like, didn't you think this was weird when this was happening? Like, didn't you, weren't you thinking that this was something strange was going on? I'm like, no, they were brainwashed in a cult. Of, didn't you just watch the film? We yes. went through 20 years of them very much enjoying, at least in terms of early on, being in this cult or at least um, very much wanting to be there. Right. So, no, they never thought it was strange. And you telling them that is, like, embarrassing for you. You're just making them feel that much worse right. about that they spent 20 years of their lives following this fucking guy who wears a Speedo and throws grapes in people's mouths. You, you joke, but uh, also... This question doesn't necessarily have nearly the context that it deserves because it's not until you see the entire film yeah. that you realize how asinine that question is because yeah. uh, it, it's insane. I can't believe somebody would ask that uh, based on what we saw. Right out movie. of the gate, too. Like, yeah. first one, like, first bowl through, just... Yeah, so... And, so, and then the first day ends with Michael Shannon just being a total train wreck on the stage. <laughs> he's clapping by pounding his chest and he's... Answering Every questions. questions that he was asked, he gave a completely non sequitur answer. <laughs> I, I love that his uh, somebody asked him about the collaboration between him and uh, Imogen, Imogen Boots, whatever her yeah. name is, and he and it was essentially like, "How did you guys nail down that chemistry?" Which I thought was kind of a funny question because I didn't think they had chemistry. <laughs> but uh, his answer was like, "Well, one day we were uh, sitting in a car and we looked up in Vegas and we we, <laughs> we saw a Ferris wheel and it went by and oh boy, we just we started giggling and that's what I knew." <laughs> That's what I knew. The worst part is that's actually probably the best answer he gave. <laughs> yeah, out of all the questions. Because he was a total he mess. He also was, yeah. uh, uh, I, I was calling him Ricky Bobby that night because he had no idea how to hold a microphone. Yeah. He, he was like, first he was doing like an eight mile thing where he would kind of like hold it above his head, uh, <laughs> pointed downward at his mouth. But then it was like getting like two fisted and he just had no idea where to put that thing. Yeah. So that was interesting. And uh, I, I guess in terms of Q&As, I didn't have any more that really stood no, out. No, it was really that first night. I will say, as... I will say though, uh, another big aspect of Sundance is, especially if you want to get decent seats or at least you know sit together, because a lot of people forced to sit by themselves because there's only solo seats, which yep. because we planned out really well what we were doing never really happened to us at all. But never. And we not only that, but we had fantastic seats every single movie. I would say. Yeah, that, I would totally agree. Kind of amazing. Um. So when we were in line for Love and Friendship, there was this kind of unusual crew behind us, which was a man who had seen a ton of films with a woman who I guess was his second wife. Um, and Ooh. this was a very yeah. interesting thing that happened because he started talking about like all the things about her being forgetful and always being late, yeah. which is 
I mean, for me, and, and this woman seemed to be okay with that he was saying this, but it still is very weird when you are in public telling some people that wasn't wasn't us, like people that you don't know about the person you're with and all these, they, oh, well, she forgets this and whatever. So this ends with him like kind of like guilting her on being like, oh, tell them, tell them, tell them this story of where you were really late. You have to tell them. This is so ridiculous. How the worst the, thing you were ever late yes, to. Yes, the worst thing you were ever late for. And so she starts like, like, like gleefully laughing. She's like, oh, I was late for my husband's funeral. Oh, my God. I would never tell anybody about that. Are you kidding me? And the fact that she's like embracing this is just very bizarre. Well, I, if I, anything, I, I thought it was kind of sweet because it showed why those two should be together. <laughs> I I couldn't even believe it. And the, and the last thing I'll say, too, um, not about that, but about Q&As, because we're talking more about the, the actual festival. People, if you're going to be at a question and answer, first of all, stop over-congratulating the filmmaker because that was their job to make that film. Yeah, and there, stop there is... shaming the audience for not clapping or giving a standing ovation because that is not their job. Yeah, it's uh, it, that and like you just said, over-congratulate. There's at least three instances of somebody standing up after a movie and using their Q&A to go, thank you. <laughs> and then stop, not say anything. Yeah. Thank, thank you for that movie. And then asking like, some terrible question yeah. that was not well thought out or at all. Or talking about Carol for 10 minutes. Oh my god, another moment. That was in the Frank and Lola Q&A yeah. where someone like took a side swipe and decided to talk about Carol for a minute well, and a half. Yeah, it was like somebody it was trying, uncomfortable. It was somebody trying to basically show off their film viewing uh, habit or intellectualism, but uh, really just came off like a tool. <laughs> So if you're listening, hi. Yeah, well, they they should stop doing that because that they were just embarrassing themselves, and it yeah. was really awkward. Okay, and you know what? I I I guess we'll close on this one because this was at the end of the Birth of the Nation Q and A, which granted, oh is, boy, granted is the end. Um, however, there was an African American male who stood up to ask a Q and A. African American. Yes, he was. Yeah, I don't see color. Uh, okay. Anyways, so he stands up to ask um, what the conflict was that we see at the end of the movie, which in fact was the Civil War, and <laughs> you can't blame him. The public education system in our in our country is not very good. The fact that someone decided to stand up in a thousand seat theater after that film and say, "So that that war they were having at the end, I, what exactly was that?" I mean, I have to admit that, like, it's not that I can't see somebody not knowing that because I will admit that I think the film was not great at relaying that other than just being able to identify the outfits uh but the fact that if i didn't know something like that i would not ask <laughs> it's called the wikipedia dumbass oh boy so yeah i i'm we're, we're making we're making light of a lot of the the best of fails uh, at the festival but for the most part the audiences were a lot of fun to be around. We and met fun some to great watch. people. Shout Ma- out to Michelle. Michelle. Yeah. Yep. The person we met in our very first screening, and then we kept running into for the first two days. And, and then we went she to was the gone. Same, yeah. I, we, we ran into the same restaurant. We went, uh, we saw her again at another screening. So, yeah. And she was just a delightful person. She's and she, been going there for like 20 years. Yeah. So. And she was just genuinely in, enjoyed talking about films with us, which was, was great. And we'll never forget you, Michelle. Yeah. And we, uh, you know, met other people who were really fun to talk to and some people who, uh, you know, had very different opinions than ours. Um, and that, some you know, wrong. Yeah. Well, of course you would think that I'm just kidding. Not really. No, it's true. But <laughs> yeah, but, um, it, it, it's just one of the great things about the, the festival is that 
everyone's got a different opinion and a, a different way of seeing it. And it's right. it's great to just have all those different opinions Reminders brought together. Reminders of why I'm better than everybody else. Wow. Only half joking, Nick. <laughs> so true. All right. Well, um, if you have any thoughts on Sundance or any questions or comments for anything we talked about. Or if you have any feedback, like yeah. if you thought that this was the wrong approach to, I would say, tackle the festival, <laughs> uh, let us know so that in case we ever go back, we don't do it the <laughs> same way again. Yeah. So and, and if you have any of those thoughts we just talked about, you can send those on to filmtankshow at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. So yeah, thank you for listening to this bonus episode about our trip to the 2016 Sundance Film Festival, and uh, we will catch up with you next time here on Film Tank. Woo.